Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, a very good Saturday morning, a very foggy Saturday morning. If you're out there on the road, please turn on those fog lights. Slow down. Drive at least a little bit uh, like you care about getting where you're going. It just it just absolutely flabbergasts me. Driving in from Bernie this morning, literally couldn't see, oh, 40, 50 feet in front of you. And those guys in those big old pickup trucks driving 85, 95 miles an hour or more, Ah, just insane out there. So don't you be one of them. Get out if you got to be out. Be safe this morning. I'm going to jump in here, Bob. Yeah. It'll turn on the headlights, not just the fog lamps, but turn on the headlights. (laughs) You you had about as crazy a ride in as I did this morning, Don. So uh, I don't know. It's a dangerous morning out there, and we want you around to hear the show again tomorrow. So anyway, please, please do be safe this morning. We are here to talk about gardening, maybe poinsettias, maybe Christmas cactus. Just, oh, there are lots and lots of things going on. Can you believe Christmas just uh, barely two weeks away? It's just kind of an insane season. Anyway, we've got uh, Paula and Don waiting to talk. means there's still a couple of open lines. So if you'd like to get in early, grab one of them. You know the number, 210-599-5555. Lots of things to talk about, but what is important most is what's most important to you. So let's just get started with phone calls, and Paula's up first. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, Bob. Good uh, morning. This is good. This is going to be your simplest question of the morning. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> well, that that will remain to be seen about three and a half hours from now, but uh, I look forward to answering your question, so how can I help you? Well, I didn't get my fall fertilizer on my grass. Can uh-huh. I still do that, or did I miss the window? And it's not no, it's you did. You did not miss the window. It's uh, it's a great time to put it on using the organic products. You can literally do it 365 days a year, whether it's hot, cold, wet, or dry. Uh, <laughs> fertilizer doesn't do any good in the bag, though. It's got to be out there on the landscape. But, no, there's nothing yeah. at all wrong with it. Today would be an ideal day to get it done. You don't even have to water it in. I probably would just to get it activated and going. But, uh, no, get out and do it as you have time as soon as you can. It'll be just fine. And if you have any money and energy left over, any spots in the yard that just aren't up to your expectations, Pick up a bit of compost and spread about half an inch of compost. That compost is the one single most important thing, I think, in uh, where plants have been damaged by last summer's heat and uh, previous winter's cold. I don't think there's anything better that you can do to put a little compost on top of that fertilizer after you put it down. Okay. Well, that means I'll be coming to see you then. 
Well, we will look forward to seeing you, and be sure, even if all you need is fertilizer, be sure and walk back in the greenhouse and look at the poinsettias. They have truly, I think it's just been a good year for growing, but I have never seen such pretty poinsettias and some really unusual and different varieties. So uh, we'll Mm -hmm. look forward to seeing you. Okay. Have a good Uh, day. You do the same, and thank you so much. (laughs) Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Okay, moving along. Don is next in line. Good morning, Don. Yeah, Bob. Uh, this is Don. I think you see, uh, my my asparagus has uh, it's about uh, five and a half, six foot tall, a little better. Uh-huh. Uh, when should I cut that? When should I cut that, that back? Should I? You can I, you you can do it any time you like, but just remember, the longer it has green foliage on it the stronger is going to be when it comes out. Now, I always wait. Uh, if it hasn't frozen back by New Year's Day, then that's one of my projects that I will get out and do it and just cut it back at that time. So if it were mine, I, I'd leave it for roughly another month. But if you say, well, I'm going to be really busy in January, go ahead and cut it back now. You're not going to hurt anything. But just the longer it stays green, the stronger the plants are going to be uh, as they start coming up in the spring, the longer you'll be able to harvest. So no rush. you got about 30 days before I tell you absolutely get it done. Yeah. Should I fertilize them when I cut, cut them back or fertilize them now or this or? I would. Uh, when was the last time you fertilized? Oh, it's been, been uh, about a month or so. If it's if it's only been a month, you do it at your convenience. Uh, this is a time of year I give them at least one good feeding with uh, just a slow release organic like Medina's Grown Green, something like that. But uh, after they really get up and start producing, then I'll start feeding a little bit more often with a liquid like the Hestero plant or maybe the liquid fish blend. But uh, I I just get a bag of good old growing green and give them a you know give them a dose of that whenever you have the time to do it. Yeah, yes, they, they are, they're looking good. I didn't have no fog or nothing that there. Uh, I've got two uh, <clears throat> great tomato plants that came up brown and cherry, and they're about oh uh, a foot tall. Should I uh, pull those things up or let them grow or will they produce or not? They, they, it'll just depend on when we get that first hard freeze or that first frost. Uh, if you're not using that space for something else, let them go. I've seen crazier things. I've seen years when we didn't even have a freeze until the uh, 1st of January. Now, uh, for folks up in the hill country and even north San Antonio, we're looking at possibly freezing weather tomorrow night. But down where you are, I, there's nothing in the next two weeks that I've seen that would cause me any concern. So, Unless you just want to plant a little more broccoli or something like that, let them grow and uh, keep your fingers crossed. If if they have come up voluntarily, they are most likely a cherry tomato. Uh, cherry tomatoes are are the ones that don't pay any attention to how warm or cold the nights are. So uh, I wouldn't surprise me if you're not eating, you know, fresh tomatoes. Uh, if not on New Year's Day, certainly by Valentine's Day. Yeah, these these things here, I'm pretty sure are not. The cherry tomatoes across there, where the cherry tomatoes was, it's pretty. It's a distance away from where these are. These are probably celebrities or tycoons, I believe, and I don't know. But uh, well, it, if you know the bigger fruited tomatoes, uh, if the nights are much below sixty, oh something like that, they're they're not going to set much fruit. But uh, this could be one of those crazy winters that we just never, at least for folks down in your area. 
never get that hard freeze, so uh, you just might be the first guy on the block with fresh tomatoes. So, and again, they didn't cost you a penny. All you're going to have to do is put a little water and fertilizer on them, so go for it. Yeah, I, I, I can cover them up, you know, with the, with the cover of the freeze, and maybe they won't freeze back. Can you, can you cover them up, uh, put a wire over them, then cover them up with a blanket and then a plastic? I I wouldn't do plastic because then we get one of those strong north winds that just turns into a sail that's going to wind up down in the bay. Uh, wrapping them up with something like the insulate or one of the roll cover fabrics is uh, is all you would uh, need to even think about doing. Yeah. At that size, they're pretty easy to cover. When they get to be five feet tall, that might be another story. But uh, I go ahead, when when I'm planting, I go ahead and put the cages on them, even when they're very small plants, uh, just because yeah. it makes them easier to wrap up when you need to. So uh, I just, just pretend like it's April instead of uh, December and treat them exactly the same as you would. Just keep an eye on that thermometer. And if uh, they say frost is a potential, get out and give a little protection. Yeah. Uh, shit out of the, my garden. I haven't. I don't have anything growing up. You know, all uh, summer. I, I, I just had just get the weeds out and everything. Should I fertilize it now? Or wait when I put the plants in. I would um, wait until about two or three weeks before you're going to put the plants in. Uh, there's no reason not to not to be planting things now. Obviously, I wouldn't be planting too much in the way of uh, tomatoes and peppers intentionally. But if you like broccoli or cauliflower, if you like chard or spinach or lettuce or bok choy, all those are things you could plant this afternoon, and uh, they would do just fine. But I'd, I'd try to anticipate when you're going to have the time to do some planting, and I'd, I'd put your fertilizer down about two weeks in advance of that. Okay. All right. Well, that's very fine. I appreciate it. Well, as always, I appreciate hearing from you. Get out. If we don't talk again, have a very good Christmas season. Thank you, Bob. Bye-bye. Thank you, Don. Goodbye. All right. My next two callers are Brian and Diane. Brian got through first. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm off to a good start after a, after, well, I wouldn't call it a white knuckle drive in, but, uh, Running in and out of fog is never a lot of fun. Two questions. First one regarding spreading compost. Best time of year to do that in the yard? I like doing it in the fall. I like doing it right now. Um, You can do it. Yeah, you can do it in the spring. But the time of the reason I love doing it in the fall is if you do it now, it has as good a pre-emergent effect as anything you can put out. Uh, when I have yeah. put compost out in the fall, you know, I even headed off a, a real sticker burr problem one year in a, in a patch that they have been really thick. So uh, October, November, if I had to tell you the best time, uh, second best time is uh, October through about April. Okay, so I could start put put a thin coat on yard to this afternoon or sometime You've got the time and the time and the compost. Uh, it looks yeah, like it's going to be compost. a beautiful the compost. The compost is no problem. <laughs> well, that's good. It looks like today is going to be our nicest afternoon for a while. It's going to start chilling down a good deal. So, yeah, go for it. If you've uh, got the compost, uh, do as yeah. much as you feel like doing this afternoon. Uh, second question: Freeze and this summer lost some grass under some oak trees. Is there anything you'd recommend to put under oak trees for ground cover, grass-wise, or? 
Well, if you're going to go with grass, uh, you're, it's, it's got to be St. Augustine. You're throwing your money away yeah. on Zoysia or Bermuda. Uh, and the best two uh, St. Augustine varieties, in my experience, one of them is called Palmetto, P-A-L-M-E-T-T-O, and the other is yeah. called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, if, if, you know, you want grass, those are going to be the two most shade-tolerant. And they're both semi-dwarf. They don't grow as fast as the St. Augustines that grow out in the sun. So you've got less yeah. mowing and things like that. If you say, well, I'm tired of mowing, I want to do something else, uh, Asian jasmine is probably the best ground cover you can plant in the shade. Okay. Yeah, I was leaning toward like the Palmetto or the Delmar Del and look, doing research just figure why have you on the phone that gas the question. Absolutely. And I I would be happy with either one of them. Just call around. Um it, the big grass growers are getting lazy. Uh, many of them are not growing anything except one variety, so you may have yeah. to look a little bit, but you will find one yeah. or the other, but uh, uh, I consider them pretty much equivalent. I think palmetto is usually a little easier to find, but uh, if I had the water to you know care for it, that would be my grass of choice. Yeah, yeah, I have a sprinkler system in the front yard and part of the backyard that would take care of that, no problem. <laughs> well, I have a well, <clears throat> and uh, yeah. I don't have enough water, but uh, you're in good shape, and you can, uh, I, it's, it's, there's always a question, uh, now is not necessarily a bad time of year to plant grass, but it, it would not be a good time of year if we get one of those 10 degree spells in January, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not into weather forecasting, I'm not that crazy, but uh yeah. Uh, if I were doing it, I probably would put out a little bit of uh, one of the rye grasses for the winter months, and then plant on plant my St. Augustine. Uh, actually, as as actually, I did a little bit. I did a little bit that uh, first of, no, oh, of October, I guess. And oh, I bet you've got a nice. It, 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 looks kinda, it looks kind of funny growing out there in the yard. <laughs> well, it's just nice to have something green around after all the leaves yeah. are gone off the trees. But no, yeah. you're way ahead in the game. Uh, yeah. Enjoy that until. Uh, you know, March, April, and uh, then go for it with uh, with your new grass. Uh, even now, even with your winter grass coming up, would not be a bad time to throw a little compost out too, because that's going to yeah. soften the soil and slow down the weeds. Yeah. Uh, and we've all got plenty of those. All right. Uh, thank you, sir. Have Always a, good a pleasure. You do the same. Good to talk to you, Brad. Right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Ah, next in line is Diane. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, Bob. You're up nice and early this morning, as always, probably. Well, this morning a little earlier than I would have liked, but I figured I'll take advantage of this opportunity to talk to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> You're mighty kind. What's going on in your world? Okay, first question. Of course, I have my, you know, fall bed in and my lettuce looks amazing and everything looks great. Do I need to put some row cover out because I'm going to be having to be overnight in Austin for a night or two starting Monday? And so I'm not going to be here, so I have to plan in advance. Should I cover it on Sunday evening or is it going to be okay? It should be fine. It should be fine with the weather forecast where it is. 
what you're probably looking at in Seguin is 31, 32 degrees. These plants are up and have been growing, so that should not be a problem. Uh, it's supposed to warm right back up. We're only supposed to have one chilly night. Uh, if these things were newly sprouted, I would tell you, yeah, by all means, put some roll cover over them. But being as these things have had time to form a little bit of antifreeze, things like lettuce, uh, spinach, bok choy should be fine at this point. Okay, so I have varying degrees of growth. So the, the younger ones I should cover. You should, you should protect them. Realize that, that sugar is basically antifreeze. I mean, that's why as kids, the time we decided to make extra sweet popsicles, they wouldn't freeze for us and it took years to figure out why. But sugar is antifreeze, and uh, it takes a little time and a little bit of sunlight to get those plants developing that sugar that they need to protect themselves, to you know form their own antifreeze, so to speak. So the longer the time that they have had to grow and make more sugars in the sap, the more cold-hardy they're going to be. Okay. And if I put celery seed in the ground, well, it was about a week ago, is that something that grows pretty easily? It grows very easily. Uh, You know, there is a leaf celery, and then there is the celery we're used to from the grocery store that makes the bigger stalks. Um, I've always found that it's a little bit easier to get leaf celery to produce a good crop. The stalk type will produce, but if you're not real careful to keep it well watered, it can get a little bitter. It cannot be the you know flavor that we all enjoy in celery, but you can certainly grow either one of them. And that's something that if it's newly sprouted, uh, I would very definitely cover. If it's up and growing, it should be fine. It's been a week and it hasn't sprouted yet. Maybe I planted uh, it too deep. So, well, okay. soil's been a pretty cool, so I'd give it another week before you start worrying about whether it's going to come up at all or not. Okay. Okay. I just have to tell you, I love those the orange, I can't remember what they're called, the spray bottles y'all have. Oh, the Quasar? Oh, my yeah. gosh. I, my only regret is that I didn't get a bigger one. <laughs> well, Christmas is coming, and you got a pretty nice hubby. I, I think I'd drop a hint or two, and I know some folks would be happy to help him if he came over this way. <laughs> but well, did you get? I have to, I'm did you did you get the squeeze and spray type, or did you get the little one that you pump up? The squeeze and spray. I yeah. love it. But I well, opted for an amaryllis, so I got one of those pink amaryllis because. I just wanted something beautiful. <laughs> but anyway, those things are great. If anybody hasn't bought one, they have to run. Run well, the shade at one. You're, you're very kind. And I love the fact you can turn them upside down and they still spray. But uh, tell John that uh, one of those pump-up ones, uh, the, even the little handheld one, golly, it's nice yes. to be able to. I'm sorry? That's the one I want. Okay, okay, well, I hope he's up and listening and paying attention, but uh, uh, anyway, it's uh, they are great gifts, they are great things to have, and even their bigger ones, the you know, the one-gallon ones, and, and there's a little bit bigger one than that. These things, are they're just a super quality. They come out of Poland, of all places, and uh, uh, we've had, years ago, we had one that came out of Germany, and I know Roberta got one of those, and it still works just fine, and it, I, I hate to think how many years it's been, but uh, 
those folks just believe a little bit more in equality and a uh, little bit of more, more opposed to this built-in obsolescence that seems to be the rule in this country these days. So, yeah, anybody looking for a quality sprayer that will last in a number of different models, these quasars are the best I've ever seen. Yes, they are. Okay, my last question. Did you ever get in touch with Bruce about Sandy's leaf cutter ant recipe? I have not, and I need to call Bruce. Uh, in fact, he may be listening this morning. Um, I know it was proprietary at the time, but uh, I just haven't had a chance to talk to Mr. Dooley. But I am writing myself uh Sandy Oaks Leaf Cutter Solution. I'll make it a point to try to get hold of them this afternoon if I can. Do you know what leaf cutter ants love? What is they that? They love figs. Not fig leaves. Figs. That is interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I have... Uh, I don't think I've ever had a, a colony that close to my fig trees, but so they're they're actually eating the fruit, eating it green, eating it ripe, eating it any way they can find it, eating it all the way around. Just wow, little you know, and and they're busy. They are busy, busy. Initially, they just found the ones low. I mean, I'm still getting some figs. They're not uh-huh. you know as the ones in the summer. But I got to keep an eye. They're worse than the birds. That's crazy. The birds. I do not mind sharing with the birds. I mind sharing with leafcutter ants. Okay. I <laughs> uh, that's uh, that that's a new one. I had not heard that. But they are. You know, when you look at a uh, that that ant, and there have been millions of dollars spent, maybe more than that trying to find a control for these things because they're a nuisance to us. But for the paper and uh, and plywood industry in East Texas, uh, these things are just devastating. And uh, even even the chemical guys with all the things that you and I hate, uh, they have found a way to control them even with their toxic stuff. So we're just going to have to, you know, find a natural predator one of these days for them. And, um, I don't know what it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're going to find a different strain of nematodes, if we're going to find a different strain of bacteria, but uh, the answer's out there. I mean, these things haven't taken over the world yet, and if something in nature were not providing at least a little bit of control, there'd be a an even bigger problem than they are. We just have to figure out what it is. Well, I took a shovel full of fire ants mm-hmm. and put. You know, I had several fire ant mounds, so I went to each one and took it to. My mound of leaf cutters. Now the leaf cutters are still there. I don't know if the fire ants survived or or just went back to their mounds. Um, but it didn't take out the leaf cutters. I'm still I'm still working on an aardvark. So, well, good luck on that. But if you try the fire ants again, don't take them from several mounds because the individual mounds hate each other, and that's how you no, no, kill out of. I, oh, I go ahead. I took one mound to one mound. And okay. then I didn't commingle the fire ant mounds. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, because I knew I knew then they would be fighting each other, and it would defeat the purpose. And the <laughs> leaf cutter would be cheering on, you know, like you know, in Rome with the 
lions in the anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> You're mighty sharp for this hour of the morning, so uh, you get out and have a wonderful day, and uh, keep dropping those hints, and we'll uh, we'll we'll keep one of those uh, sprayers in reserve for when you make it over this way. And in the meantime, enjoy this uh, beautiful season. It's uh, uh, these you know fifty degree mornings, seventy degree afternoons, which are about to come to an end, but. Uh, that's that's just the way weather ought to be. But don't don't tell everybody up north we don't need all them moving down here yet. That's right. Okay, Bob, you have a great day. You do the same. So good to talk to you, Diane. We'll talk again soon. Everybody else, less than a minute till news time, so won't try to squeeze another call in here. We do have some open lines. You know the number, 210-599-5555. I guess that's uh, another thing we can talk about uh, today if anyone wants, or some of the some of the best gifts out there for uh, gardeners. And I don't know, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But give me a call, 210-599-5555. Uh, the poinsettias are beautiful this year. The Christmas cacti are gorgeous. Uh, amaryllis bulbs are huge. And I imagine most of your nurseries, like we have some amaryllis already up and growing, probably even in bloom. Anthuriums, just there's no reason to have a drab look around your home or your gardens. Cyclamen are beautiful out in the shade. Pansies in the sun. Get out and enjoy and make your home beautiful for this uh, wonderful holiday season. We'll be back right after news. You're listening to Gardening here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening and uh, oh, just a... Uh, Nice warm morning out there. Temperature probably in the 50s or low 60s wherever you are. And uh, this is going to be our last real warm morning for a while. Going to be chilly tomorrow morning and real chilly by Monday morning. But uh, it'd be a great day to to get out and get all sorts of things done out there. Looks like we're going to talk to James and Mary and Betty. We'll start with James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? I am off to a good start. You're one man I know always is up and early early and enjoying the <laughs> the sunrise. What's going on in your world? Well, I got to split wood and uh, do a little bit of work on my compost area before the uh, cold front comes. But I'm having a lot of fun doing... Uh, compost turning and compost screaming because this weather's really nice oh yeah yeah it's it's been great gardening weather whatever you're doing whether it's vegetables or the landscape or just getting out it's <laughs> this this is the way december ought to be in south texas and uh i think mother nature's kind of apologizing for the really lousy summer she dumped on this on us this year so uh it it has been it been a great stretch of weather to get out and get all sorts of things done. Uh, how's your spinach doing? How's everything growing for you? Uh, not spinach this time of the year. I've got uh, Korean uh, kimchi radishes and cilantro and onions. Ah, We're just, okay. Just not doing uh, spinach. You grow a pretty good uh, spring crop of spinach, though, don't you? Seems like you've advised us on that a time or two. The Bloomsdale Longstanding is a Savoy leaf, and it's got a flavor that's it's really good spinach. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it's been around really, forever, and still, I don't think they've produced anything better. There, there's some other good varieties. Melody's another one that I like, but uh, Bloomsdale, uh, it's probably been that that variety's probably 50 years old or more now. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, I've been asking all the uh, the growing experts this question, and I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, the pepper plants, we have a real good harvest in the spring, and, and then we have to nurse them through uh, the summer, which which is kind of like overwintering, but, you know, you got to water them and keep them going, but you don't get any peppers from them. And then this time of the year, you start, you know, fertilizing, and you get like a a pretty wimpy uh, harvest. <laughs> Would right. it be better to start new plants in June and just forget about uh, trying to oversummer the spring planted peppers? I well, it all depends on what types you're talking about. The bigger fruited peppers, maybe, maybe not. I, I, you know, I, our biggest problem, I think, is that uh, we're getting too many peppers forced upon us by the seed companies that simply are not bred for hot weather um you know lots of these lots of these things including just about all the bells and certainly uh most all your mild peppers they just don't like the heat that's why they grow and do so well in the spring and they grow and do so well in the fall but uh you know i typically pick shishitos all summer long uh serranos uh, jalapenos our hotter peppers, uh, uh, now I did not have much in the garden during the hot summer this year, so I, I can't really speak for that. But uh, I I think you can certainly plant more, but, you know, those little seedlings are really going to struggle. And we always try to get the seed planted at least six weeks before we're going to put it in the ground. So uh, I I don't think there's anything wrong with getting some fresh ones going for the fall but if I've got the room, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my my spring plants in there, um, and you know about about all you have to do is water and feed uh, in a more typical summer. But gosh, if you're not if you're not picking peppers, if you're not growing shishitos and some of these things, they continue to produce, and the the fruit's not quite as big. But uh, I generally pick serranos and shishitos at least. Uh, and even the jalapenos uh, all summer long, it, they, they don't really take a break. The fruit just gets a little smaller, and it sometimes tends to mature so quickly you can't leave it on the plant real long, or it's going to turn red and get all those little cracks in it. But uh, hotter peppers, uh, you ought to be picking them all summer, I think. Everybody I've talked to up at Johnny's seem to think that the new plants grown for the fall crop, the new uh-huh. plants would do better as far as production goes. That they all said that the new plants would give you give you a much more production than the oversummered plants. And I was just kind of wanting to see what your take on that was. Well, if you can, I mean, if you've got a greenhouse to get your plants started in, there's no doubt that there is something to be said for seedling vigor. But um, that's not to say that that you won't get a a good harvest. 
I mean, most of these peppers in their native environment are perennials. They're not annuals. Um, so I, I, again, I, I love planting some fresh ones, but if there's room in the garden, um, the, the ones that you've held over since, uh, spring, they're going to be the first ones produced, and they may not produce the volume. If you're going for volume alone, no, I think you ought to be replanting, and uh, uh, that may even be true for putting in two crops in the spring, one of them in April and another one in June. But uh, for the home gardener that, you know, a little short on time to get out and plant, uh, I, I'm not going to pull up the old spring plants. I think the newer ones, yeah, they're going to have a vigor uh, just like if you, you know, got somebody you need out there to double dig the garden, you're probably going to get, if you can find a, a 15 year old that'll work, you're probably going to get a little more help out of him than you're going to get out of a, one of us old men. But, uh, I, I'm just reluctant to pull up a, a vigorous plant that I know is going to produce. But as far as volume, I think, I think Johnny's and I think you're entirely right. New plants are going to produce more. But uh, I'm I'm not going to give up on the old ones as long as I've got room in the garden. Okay, well that's kind of the answer I was looking for. And uh, many years ago, I got some advice from an old grandma, and she said when it comes to hiring boys to work in the garden, one boy's a boy, two boys is a half a boy, and three boys (laughs) is no boy at all. You know, that's it's so funny you say that, because years ago, when uh, I had the pleasure of visiting New Zealand, <laughs> was talking to uh, somebody, uh, I believe in the nursery business down there, and he said, yeah, he said, when you get kids working for you, that's exactly what he said. He said, if you get one, you may have a pretty good worker. If you get two, you get half as much work. And if you get three, you get no work at all. So I think your grandma was ahead of her time. I think that's pretty good advice. Well, I was looking for them, and I couldn't find them. I had them doing something, and I looked over, and they were all standing on the uh, pier of on the on the dock of the pond, throwing rocks in the pond. So, uh, yeah, man, <laughs> three boys is no boy at all. That's <laughs> well, and you just the the secret is you can tell them you're welcome to talk, but get the work done while you talk. But uh, James, you get out, and I will probably talk again. But hope it's just the whole Christmas season is a happy time for you, and uh, I look forward to our next visit. Thanks, Bob. Thank you very much. Let's go on and talk to Mary. Good morning, Mary. Good, good morning, Bob. How are you? Good morning. Oh, off to a good start. It's a nice, Good. it's a nice warm morning out there. So, uh, uh, kind of weather I love. Cool in the mornings and nice and warm in the afternoons. It is about to come to a screeching halt. I'm afraid. Isn't it though? Yep. All those preps were done yesterday, so it can come. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, Doug and I have a question for you. We okay. are getting ready to renovate the kitchen, and in the kitchen, we wanted to put some old barn wood that we have. Uh-huh. Well, we pulled it out yesterday, and it has silverfish, which okay. means I'm sure it's got eggs. How do right. I take care of that issue without compromising the character of the wood? I would. Do you have a pressure washer that uh, you can turn down the pressure to where it's fairly low? Um, can't necessarily turn down the pressure, but can back off with distance. 
That's what I would do. Yeah. Okay. I I would uh, I would change the nozzle and uh, I I that's where I would start. Now after I got through with that, I'd probably do a little dilute orange oil because okay. that's going to kill eggs and anything else out there. You don't want to make it too strong because uh, I, you might get a little bit of a bleaching effect. But I have to say, places that. I've used it around my old barn and things like that. I've not seen a significant thing, but you can dilute it down to, you know, maybe a, a teaspoon or so per gallon and still get uh, what we would call ovicidal effect, killing the eggs of those things. But I'd start with a, with just a good physical soapy water wash. Soapy water. Okay. A soapy water wash, just use the soap that would normally go with the pressure washer? Yeah. Yeah, if okay. yours is like mine, it has a little port. That you can put a little yeah. hose and drop it down in a bucket, and uh, um, that'll that'll make it easier to work with, and should take care of not only the silverfish, but uh, if there happens to be an occasional termite out there, or fire ants, or you know all those other critters that uh, tend to like to inhabit our spaces, I think that'll take care of them very well for you. Okay, that sounds great. And then just and- let it good air dry after that just let it do a good thorough air dry and um i yeah it's uh that that should be all you need to do and where you've got it in ground contact of course uh you might i mean if it's not going to show you might put ducks back or thompson's or something like that where it's going to be in ground contact because that's the one thing i've found with barn wood as beautiful it is it is um, it's it's pretty susceptible to getting a little rot started if it gets covered up with wood. So if you're doing anything where it's in ground contact, uh, I'd at least seal those ends. Yeah, we should be okay. We're just going to use it as a backsplash and then a partial wall for basically <laughs> a place I can hang my cast iron pot so I can get to them easy. Ah, uh, then so. you'll have no problem at all, and I want to see pictures. Okay. <laughs> You You and Doug have a very, very Merry Christmas season, and uh, tell them I was was most interested and still just so appreciate the Fire Academy, and sadly had to watch the firemen at work with those Hearst tools that we we learned how to use. Fortunately, the people weren't hurt too badly, but uh, tell uh, tell them that the guys are still doing a good job down at the department. Good, good, good. So you had another ruck out by you? I only had <clears throat> only had three rollovers in two weeks, and uh, only lost 150 feet of fence the first time. And then the second group of kids, the little high on marijuana, that rolled it over and took out the fence 50 feet further down. And then the older couple in the pickup that required extraction happened to roll theirs and take out all the new fence that had been built for the first one. And so people just need to slow down and think. But, no, it was has not been a good couple of weeks for my fences. Wow. Oh, man, <laughs> sounds like it. Well, yeah. at least it's just fencing. That's right. And everybody didn't necessarily walk away, but at least they, they lived right. to drive another day, and hopefully they, they learned a lesson. But that's a whole other subject. You guys have a wonderful Christmas, okay, and I hope you. we get to see you for then. I do, too. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Betty, hang on. You'll be up in just a moment. Looks like I get to talk about the freeze miser, and <clears throat> if the weather forecast Holds as predicted. Not going to be too bad in San Antonio, but if you're up in the hill country, 
you Monday morning might be looking at a need to have those faucets dripping. And, of course, it's too wasteful of water and too much to try to keep up with that dripping by hand anymore when we've got the freeze miser. Freeze miser takes care of dripping your faucets automatically. No batteries, no wires, no electronics to uh, go bad on you. Just some magical chemistry inside of that device called the freeze miser. You simply put it on the hydrant, turn the water on, nothing happens. It just sits there dry unless or until the water inside the pipes approaches freezing, gets down close to that danger point, then the freeze miser starts dripping your hydrant automatically and stops dripping as soon as the water warms up again. It's just amazing. This will be the third year that I've had them on my hydrants, and uh, I will certainly recommend them to you. Just think about it. If you've got a place uh, up in the hill country or down at the coast, somewhere that you're not there all the time, why spend the winter worrying about frozen pipes when you can simply put the freeze misers on in the fall? They'll protect you all winter. Take them off and put them away for the spring to use again next year. If you want to see exactly how they work, go to Freeze Miser, F-R-E-E-Z-E-M-I-S-E-R, FreezeMiser.com. If you want to see the Freeze Misers, just visit a good independent dealer, good hardware store, good uh, lumber yard, good nursery. You will really enjoy knowing about the Freeze Miser, plus they make great Christmas gifts. The Freeze Miser. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a nice foggy Saturday morning out there. Hey, if you've got to drive anywhere... Uh, northeast, northwest, or even here in San Antonio. Plan on leaving a little early because this, I think, is the foggiest morning we've had so far this fall, at least in my part of the world. So I want you to be careful out there, and uh, it's uh, just going to take you a little extra time to get there. Next two callers are going to be Betty and Jim. Betty is first in line. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I inherited what I think is a tangelope plant in a pot okay okay um it's about four feet tall it has two pretty fruit on it um i guess i just wanted to know what to do (laughs) what to do with it i know probably bring it in this weekend it it's movable but um well they are a little Yeah, they're a little more cold-hardy than lemons and limes, so if if it's easy to bring in, bring it in Sunday night, and then it can probably go right back out. But just, yeah, be sure you're keeping it in the sun. Feel those fruit. When they get fully colored and start to soften, that's when they're going to be right at the prime time to pick, and be sure you don't let the birds get after them because they are just so delicious. But I almost promise you there's a mockingbird sitting out there um, yeah. thinking about what a good meal he's going to have as soon as it's ripe enough. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, they're, it's so, so pretty. I mean, it uh, yeah. really looks healthy and nice. Now, in the past, I've seen these big trees in San Antonio covered with oranges. Um, is that the same thing, but maybe mine's a dwarf? Probably not. If yours is uh, a true tangelo, which is a hybrid uh, the Satsuma type of oranges are the ones that up until 2021 were pretty cold hardy. Um, what most people just call tangerines. They're varieties like Miho and Sito and Kimbro and uh, there, there are a lot of good ones, but they're cold hardy down into the upper teens and uh, until we had that down into the single digits. Uh, 
we got some enormous trees around here, and that's probably what you saw. Also delicious, but they're not going to be quite as sweet and juicy as what you're about to harvest. Right, and I don't have room for a big tree like that. Okay, <laughs> well, let me tell you just one more thing. If you're uh-huh. buying any kind of citrus, and you're not going to find these at a box store, but if you're dealing with a good nursery, look for citrus that has been grafted onto a special rootstock. Most all citrus is grafted, uh, but there's a rootstock out there which is called Flying Dragon, and okay. it keeps the plants dwarfed it is sort of a i guess you'd call it stunning but it's a Uh natural dwarfing where the plants stay smaller but they still produce the big fruit with the same flavor so um, even some of our bigger varieties of citrus will make a more manageable tree uh, if they're grown on flying dragon rootstock so uh, ask if you're in the if you're in the market for more citrus, look around and see if you can find it. It's getting to be more and more common. There are only a couple of citrus growers in the state, but uh, we're getting more and more things on uh, flying dragon rootstock, which just okay. makes it a much better patio plant. Okay. Now, would this uh, plant that I have be grafted? Do you think? Or I guess there's no way to know without looking. Well, <laughs> excuse me, not without looking. But most of the citrus is grafted these days. Okay, okay. Okay, my other question is I just bought some Drummond Flock Seed from Wall Seed Farms. Mm-hmm. Is it too late to put it out, or do I start it inside? Uh, I would probably wait and just plant it out about February. February, okay. Mm-hmm. And I saw somewhere on the package it says do not cover too deep. But then That's... somewhere I saw that it needs to be dark or you know like don't just throw it out on top well mother nature doesn't bury it uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah most of the time i think the important thing is just rake the area first so that you get good seed to soil contact um okay. and you know, if you've got a good, what we call grass rakes or a hard rake, you can rake pretty vigorously, put your seed out, and then just flip that rake over to where the solid bars on the back, right. run it back and forth over the top, and you'll bury it, but just in a very shallow fashion. And that's probably going to give you a higher percentage of germination. Uh, like we just said, Mother Nature doesn't bury things, but then again, she produces a hundred seed for everyone that's expected to sprout, and you would like a little bit higher success rate. So, uh, but I very definitely would not, you know, till or make a furrow or anything okay. like that. Okay. I just, I just rake the soil pretty hard, throw your seed out, okay. and then flip that rake over and just gently go over the top of it. Okay. Now, should I put some Sluggo Plus out because I've done this before and didn't get any to come up, but I probably. You know, I don't remember what time of year I put it out. Well, I, I would always put some Slogo Plus out when you're okay. planting just about any kind of seed because the right. pill bugs, not so much. I'm not seeing as many snails and slugs with all the drought mm-hmm. and the heat. But, boy, the pill bugs had a bumper year last year. And uh, yeah. on on young seedlings, I think they're probably more devastating than snails and slugs are. Right. Okay. Okay, one last question is I have a beautiful plant i think it's a gaznia is that correct pronunciation gazania maybe yeah probably so yeah yeah a little daisy like flowers that close in the afternoon and open again the next morning yes and the most unusual markings on them (laughs) (laughs) they are outstanding plants they are so beautiful and they're normally cold hardy 
Uh, if okay. we were going to get down, you know, down in the 20 degree range, I'd probably put a little insulate over them. Uh, but they, they normally are perennials for us unless we have very prolonged cold or very severe cold. And, uh, yeah, plant, there's some incredible new varieties and a lot of different colors. There are a wide range of pinks along with the yellows and oranges. There are green leaf forms and gray leaf forms. Uh, Gazanias, other than the fact that they're not good for an evening party because the blooms close up at they night. close up, right. Yeah, but they are oh they're great gosh. garden plants they're and they're so beautiful. Fun. Yes, okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Love talking to you and have a Merry Christmas. You do the same, Betty. Thank you for the call. Uh-huh. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, Jim, hang on just a second. Got to get a break in here, and then you will be up first. Uh, I get to talk about Medina, Medina Agricultural Products and Medina Ag. I, they're just a neat company and wonderful people. I seems like I always find a reason to talk to Stuart at least every month or so and not just ordering the fertilizer 20 tons at a time like we usually do, but it's just a good company owned and operated by ethical Decent people out to make the world a better place in so many different ways. And that's what Medina products do as well. They work with nature to improve the soil, to improve the microbial life in the soil. Medina products like the Grow and Green are just full of all sorts of things to support microbial life and fortified with a lot of different things. The liquid products, same way. The Hasturo products, the Medina Plus, Medina Soil Activator, Liquid Humates, these are all quality products that are natural and just simply make your garden, make your lawn, make your flower beds a better place. And that compost pile, oh, you bet, Medina Plus will help speed things up over the winter months. If you are don't have anything in the ground, but you're going to be planting in the near future, do what I do. Put out a little dry fertilizer and then follow it up with the liquid after you've got your plants in and started growing. Medina has things for your house plants too. The Hastergrow plant is what we use on all of our interior color. And a great thing to keep those uh, annuals and perennials blooming all winter long, like your pansies and Johnny Jump Ups and Cyclamen. Medina makes quality products. If you want to see the full list, go to medinaag.com. Want to see the products? Just visit any good nursery or garden center that believes in quality. Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a beautiful Saturday morning out there. Lots of moisture in the air. Not coming down, but just hanging there to slow you down. But uh, it's a pretty day. It's going to be a beautiful afternoon and then chill down a bit. Uh, next two callers are going to be Jim and Mark. Jim is first in line. Good morning, Jim. Uh, yeah, actually it's Tim, T-I-M. Tim, okay, yeah. Tim. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Up in Adam, okay. Um, I have a, a, a Myers lemon, and it seems to have like this black smuts thing all over all the leaves. Uh-huh. Is there any way that I can uh, wash that off? Or yeah. Is that... yeah, just a little, uh, you know, a soft cloth or a sponge and a little warm soapy water. It's not anything that uh, is on or in the leaves. You've had some aphids on your lemon tree, and basically what you're seeing is black mold growing on aphid poop. <laughs> That's just the, the okay. nicest way I can put it. It's uh, uh, Their excrement is a sugary material, and if it sits there for very long, it will grow a black mold. Uh, doesn't really hurt, except you know sometimes it just gets so thick that it keeps the light from getting through to the leaf surface. But yeah, little 
little warm, soapy water. It could also be you might have scale. We also get the scale on lemons, but it's the same thing. The excrement the snail produce, the scale produces will grow the mold as well. So I begin by cleaning it and then examine those leaves carefully to see if you see any sign of insects and if so, uh, take the appropriate action and uh, regardless of which one it is, probably uh, this material called spinosad soap, which is a safe natural organic product, uh, will take care of both aphids and scale. But uh, begin by just giving those leaves a cleaning and just a few minutes with a, with a sponge or soft cloth and a little soapy water, you'll get that black off very quickly. Okay. Uh, a month or so ago, there was scale, so I used insecticidal mm-hmm. soap. I didn't use the uh, spinosad soap. Well, and, uh, and, and it uh, usually works. What you're doing with scale is smothering it. Um, yeah. I I just, you know, like like the double action you get because spinosad is a very safe product but uh, again it's not good for beneficials so if you can control them with insecticidal soap the the less you have to use the better yeah the, the scale doesn't seem to move around though it's kind of fixed it doesn't crawl over thing does it well it, that's a great question um the scale insect uh moves around feeding for a short period of time and then it picks its spot that it wants to stay and forms a hard, well, not rock hard, but forms a a crunchy sort of shell over itself. Uh, It reproduces, it begins producing baby scale, as it were, and they both crawl around very slowly. They don't move quickly, but they do move across the plant. They are also picked up by different kinds of ants, that like the the honeydew that they uh, excrete, and they actually will take the young scale and carry them far further away than they would ever move on their own, and basically, you know, start a colony of them on different plants where they know the scale will thrive. Because then that's their that's their restaurant they go back to to dine. So, um, no, the scale as an adult moves not at all as a juvenile. It moves very, very slowly, but it gets transported around by ants as well. Okay. Well, that's what I'll do because I don't like that smut stuff on the leaf. And <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done anything to go towards protecting that tree yet. But sure. Cool weather coming up. I thought I better get, get in shape. And so that's when I noticed it was on there. Okay. Uh, there's uh, just nothing know. like a good ripe Myers lemon. They're, they're certainly worth the effort yeah. it takes. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I always appreciate your program. Thank you for what you do. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. Ah, next in line is Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. This is Mark over in Gonzales. I yes, sir. Um, I have a room in my house that the two rooms are glass. And uh, over the years, uh, the oak trees in the yard, I think, have gotten more uh coverage and blocking the light and i recently uh-huh. at uh, the energy efficient two panes you know bo- you know kind of sun blocking glass yeah. and yeah my or- my orchids uh seem to be declining and declining some even dying and i i'm thinking i'm going to have to add a grow light over them now does that make sense it's certainly one way to deal with the problem. Other than tree trimming, is probably the best way to do it. What uh, different genera of orchids do you grow? Uh, some are Phalaenopsis, and I've had Vandas and Cattleyas. 
Okay. The well, from, seem to do okay, but the other two not. You're exactly right. Uh, Phalaenopsis grow with moderate light. Uh, Cattleyas take bright light. Vandas take super bright light. So uh, your fails are probably going to do fine. If you want to grow a different genus that will grow in the same lower light, all of your uh, Paphiopetalums, and there's some really beautiful things out there. Paths are right on the same light level need as your Phalaenopsis are, and they will do well even though your patio's gotten shadier. Um, okay. Your Cattleyas, your Vandas, both of those are going to want brighter light. The Vandas will be the biggest problem because they, you know, make very upright plants, and it's hard to right. uh, hard to get enough light to them. But yeah, you can go nowadays. There's some good LED lights if you want an incandescent type of light. Um, I still like the old-fashioned uh, tubes, and it does, you don't have to go with the super expensive so-called plant lights. You can just use uh, daylight white is the best part of the spectrum to look for. But uh, you're just you're you're looking for a bulb that puts out a lot of light in the blue end of the spectrum. Uh, and interestingly enough, the, uh, the the energy efficient glass, of course, a double pane is part of it. But the, where they put that sun blocking layer on, it's designed more to keep out the yellow to red uh, end of the spectrum. And uh, so many times it doesn't really impact the growth that much. But I, I suspect those trees are having a very negative impact, yeah. especially on your Cattleyas and even more so on your Vandas. So um, I, 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 there's just nothing like natural sunlight. And what I would plan to do is uh, keep them inside, add some supplemental light during the winter, and then anywhere you can, move them outside for the summer months. The uh, uh, the Cattleyas now are actually quite cold-hardy. The Cattleyas can go down probably in the 40s uh, without any kind of damage. But the, the Vandas and the Escacindas and all the related uh, ones in that group, uh, they like it really warm. They don't like to get much below 60. But uh, um, if you have your Cattleyas outside, they, they can get down to what would be sweater weather for us, and they love it. Okay, very good. That'll help. And the uh, other question, I have a friend who lives in Huntsville. Uh, the had the yard men bring in some uh, mulch, and uh, apparently it had nut sedge bulbs in it. Uh-huh. What in the world can you do to get rid of that stuff? Move. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not a practical answer. Um, the the best way we have found to control nut sedge, keep in mind that it is basically an aquatic plant, and you will limit its growth by just letting the landscape get appropriately dry between waterings. But uh best thing to kill it, to rot it out, is molasses. Uh, it loves anaerobic soil. It loves lousy growing conditions. And the uh, molasses just stimulates so much microbial life that the nutsedge can't handle it. Um, you'll mix it pretty strong, probably about half a cup of molasses to a gallon of water, and you drench rather than spray. And it's not going to just fold up and die all at once, but just, you know, week, two, three weeks, three weeks down the road, you'll notice that it's just turning yellow at the base and rotting. Uh, generally, two applications will take care of it. But uh, And this is a good time of year to do it because you're not watering your grass as often. But uh, really keep it on the dry side because the dry combined with the microbial life that the molasses stimulates, uh, that's the only really sure way to get rid of it. Okay. And what would be my source for that molasses? 
Uh, cheapest you can find. Uh, uh, probably uh, if you have any feed dealers, if you have anywhere like the place up in Comfort called Linders that actually make cattle feed, they're going to have it in bulk. Um, and that's going to be the absolute cheapest. But a nursery, a feed store, uh, Medina packages are really good molasses. Uh, uh, i tell you what I do when I need it is I have uh, lick feeders, molasses uh, lick feeders out for my cattle. And the fellow yep. that comes around and fills my feeders, if I need some, I can just leave a five-gallon jug out next to the feeder. And next time he comes by to fill, he'll fill that for me. But uh, you may not have it quite that convenient. But uh, best place no, is a... A feed uh, manufacturer, second best place is a feed store or a nursery. Well, I have a fellow that uh, has feeders out of my property for his cows, so that'll work. I'll get some yeah. from him. That'll be perfect. Great. Got both my questions. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, Mark. Have a great, great season. And uh, let's see, who do I have the pleasure of talking about now? All right. You know, a happy, healthy holiday season is what we all hope for. And I'm just so thankful to have Rhonda Bone, her family, her store as a part of my life because uh, I've just learned so much from Rhonda and I find I get a number of things from her that I think really contribute to the good health and energy level that I enjoy. Rhonda's been at this for 40 years. She and her staff, mainly family, uh, they know how to help you simply maintain the kind of life you want to live. We're getting into cold and flu season or we're there Take something to support your immune system. Uh, there are two or three different things that you can find. I happen to take something called my community. Uh, they also were getting into allergy season. If your allergies are minor, I highly recommend what she calls seasonal allergy relief. If you're one of the people that really suffers from the cedar, well, you need to know about Cedar X, which she carries. And if you've decided you don't want to gain any weight over the holidays and season, maybe even take a few pounds off, she has some wonderful things that taste sweet, taste wonderful, but they're actually sweetened with mock fruit and things that don't have all the calories and all the sugar in them. How many reasons do I need to give you to go see Rhonda? Well, maybe a couple more because she's offering special deals on reflexology and also on foot bath detox. It's just an amazing place and amazing people. I just absolutely am so thankful that we have Rhonda in our lives. And if you want to live better naturally, I'd sure suggest you go by and get to know them. They're closed on Sundays and major holidays. Otherwise, they're open over in the shopping center there at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. You will always benefit from a visit to Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Well, Don tells me we've pretty much got open lines. If you've been getting a busy signal, good time to dial 210-599-5555. I want to take just a second here and talk to you about keeping your holiday plants beautiful. I'm talking about poinsettias. I'm talking about Christmas cacti. I guess those are the first two that I will focus on. And the main things you need to do to keep those things looking good throughout the holidays and even longer is, number one, buy good quality plants. Buy plants, hopefully, from a grower in the area. 
where they haven't had to spend an uh, extended amount of time boxed up being shipped from some other part of the country. Uh, you can always tell how fresh a poinsettia is by looking right down in the center. Those uh, brightly colored things are modified leaves that are known as bracts. Um, and right down in the center is where the buds and blooms actually develop. You want to get them where they have just started to open. You may see some green and little yellow as the bloom starts to open right down there in the center. But, boy, by the time they get like they're covered with yellow pollen and all, those are older flowers, and they are not going to last. The plants are not going to last nearly as well. Second thing is give them very, very bright light, but keep them out of drafts. Don't have them sitting in front of a heat vent or near a door that gets open and closed regularly where they might get a real shot of cold air. Thirdly, don't ever let them get bone dry. When the soil is good and dry on the surface, it's time to water thoroughly once again. If you do that, uh, your poinsettias, well, probably they'll still be pretty on Easter. Uh, lots of more things to tell you, but let's go ahead and take a phone call right now. Don't want to keep Mary waiting. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a beautiful green grass right now because uh-huh. of all the water, but unfortunately there are the sticker burrs coming up. Uh-huh. So I had my husband mow them down, and I sprayed them a couple of days ago when the sun was out. And I'm uh-huh. gonna, well, I sprayed them with vinegar. I'm going to give them another spray today, but... Ha- Can you tell me again how I need to control these? Well, the thing that you need to do is to put a thin layer of compost out in the areas where you have the burrs because, unfortunately, you probably already have plenty of seeds that have developed to mature, and they're just waiting to come back next spring. So uh, the sticker burrs are going to freeze and die. They're an annual grass. The individual plant doesn't last through the winter. It dies, but then... All of those burrs come back to, you know, make more problems next spring. But I had an area in my yard that was so thick with them that the dogs wouldn't walk through the area. Uh, in about November, actually, was a time of year. I put like half an inch of compost over that area. I think the next spring, and this is like a probably a 25 by 40 foot area that we use for croquet court. I think I pulled two plants the entire following season. Um, so what you're doing is just fine, but it's not going to keep them from coming back next year. So if at all possible, I'd, I'd do that thin top layer of compost anywhere there's a problem. Uh, it has like a natural pre-emergent in it that's what's going to give you the long-term control. So uh, another question, what about cardboard? Should I put cardboard over them? And is this is a... Um, is is this just an, a bed area? Where are you having them come up? They're in patches all throughout the yard. Well, the cardboard's going to be hard on your on your grass that you want to maintain. So uh, if it were a flower bed, if it were a vegetable garden where you're not going to have anything planted for the next few months, uh, cardboard or several layers of newspaper would be a great idea, but it's just not going to be practical where you have grass and ground covers and things growing. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give it a try. I will work for you, (laughs) and you get out and have a good day. Thanks so much. Goodbye. All right. Uh, About 45 seconds till news. Uh, Once again on the point set is water thoroughly when you water. Let them get dry about a knuckle deep, and then water thoroughly again. Super bright light. 
and uh, don't ever let them get bone dry and keep them out of hot and cold drafts. Basically the same thing for Christmas cactus, and Christmas cacti are, gosh, they're beautiful this year, but remember these are not desert cacti. These are tropical cacti that normally grow as epiphytes, so uh, same thing's true. Real bright light, water thoroughly when you water, when they're dry on the surface, water thoroughly again. You do not let them dry out like you would a desert cactus. Keep them out of those uh, hot and cold drafts, and they'll stay pretty throughout the season. We'll be right back after news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. And I do have a couple of lines open, so grab one of them and get in line before everything gets totally jammed up. Art and Ronnie are waiting, and they'll be my first two callers, and uh, oh, it's just going to be a beautiful Saturday out there. Hope you're going to get out and enjoy, and if you're shopping for poinsettias and Christmas cacti and blooming amaryllis and things like that, visit a good nursery because they are absolutely gorgeous this year. Um, don't settle for the ones from the grocery store and box store. <laughs> there are simply better plants out there. Anyway, back to the phone lines. Art is first in line. Good morning, Art. Good Greetings, Bob. I uh, got a question on onions and uh, garlic. Now that I got them all planted, uh, on planting garlic, I've, I got about 80 of them planted. And, Good. Uh, in a 10 foot by a 3 foot uh, raised grow bed, about a foot deep. Very and good. I got real good oil in there. Uh, for the garlic, uh, I followed Dixon Dale's guidance for planting onions when uh-huh. they ran a transfer. Four inches, put fertilizer, and then come along later and put uh, 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 oc- uh, oxygen in it. Uh, but I did the same thing for the garlic. By the line, I guess the garlic, the onions grow over to the fertilizer and uh, the, the roots. Is that mm-hmm. the right way to plant a garlic? I just, you know, I plant onions and garlic basically the same way. I'm just going to put the fertilizer on the soil, uh, make kind of a a trench in it uh, for the onions, and then I, you know, I plant my onion little plants fairly close together, knowing I'm going to thin them out a couple of times and enjoy eating what I thin out. The garlic, I will either put the little cloves in a trench or else uh, I'll just, you know, punch a hole with my index finger and then put the little clove down in the bottom but the care is basically the same um and again i like putting some dry fertilizer on before i plant and then after both the onions and the garlic are up and growing periodically i'll water with uh something like has to grow plant or the liquid fish blend Uh, i like a dry fertilizer before i plant and then i just follow up with some liquid fertilizer over time probably the most important thing especially for the garlic, especially as we get into spring, is don't let it get too dry. The onions will survive getting dry. They won't grow as big or as well. Uh, But if your garlic gets too dry, it makes it real susceptible to a little pest called a thrips insect. And uh, you you don't want thrips on your garlic. So uh, just be sure that you're watering whenever that soil is good and dry on the surface. Give them a good drink. But beyond that, no, the care is largely the same. Uh, one other difference is you can harvest and enjoy your onions anytime 
like I said, I plant mine fairly close together. Then I'll go through and pull out every other one, enjoy them as green onions, wait a while longer and go back and pull out every other one and enjoy them as a little small bulb and then leave the ones behind until summer when they'll make a nice big bulb. Uh, garlic, on the other hand, you don't pull it early. You let it go through its full growing cycle. You let it make another bulb. Typically, we plant our garlic this time of year, and then we just let it grow until the tops start to fall over, which most years is going to be early June uh, on into mid-June, and then we pretty much harvest it all at the same time. Okay, I think I did good. I'm glad you said what you did. Thank you, Bob. Well, I'm sure you've done well in planting. But just remember, you can harvest the onions at any time, and they will be good to eat. Uh, but pretty much don't touch your garlic other than to fertilize and water or maybe do some weeding. When those tops start to fall over in early summer, that's the time you go dig them all. The other thing uh, that I think's worth telling you is... Uh, uh, on both the garlics and the onions, don't wash them. Uh, when you pull them, they're obviously going to have some dirt and things on the roof, but uh, on the roots. But if you're going to store them, just take a a soft brush and brush that dirt off. If you if you wet them down, if you water them, they'd be much more susceptible to rotting. Uh, you can what the way that I store is I've got some of these old plastic soft drink. Uh, cartons they used to deliver in and uh, I can stack those up and I'll just put things in there one layer deep I enjoy braiding the garlic and then you can hang it up and it'll keep for a long time but um, if you have more questions when you get around to harvesting we can certainly talk again but right now you're off to a good start if we have weather below 20 degrees uh, you might want to protect them but typically we don't have to protect garlic or onions either one from the cold well, you make me feel good, Bob. I do thank you, and I appreciate it. Have a well, great day. My pleasure, and you get out and do the same, and we'll move along and talk to Ronnie. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I had two persimmon trees, and one was Buyu and one was chocolate, but I lost one of them a while back. Okay. I planted them about 20, 20 years ago. I don't wow. know which one I have, and it's it uh, doesn't bear much fruit because uh, a bunch of trees have grown up around it, so it's more wow. like a an understory right now. But this year I had three three fruit on there, and uh, one of them uh, I kept my eye on because it was on, it was like four feet off the ground, mm-hmm. and one day I, I noticed it was starting to turn color. And then uh, I said, well, I'm going to wait a bit longer. Well, the next day when I got up, it was gone. So some marmot <laughs> came and got it. Probably a squirrel so, or uh, a possum or a raccoon. Yep. Uh, we've got tons of squirrels, so I suspect them. But regardless, uh, if I would have picked that when it was starting to turn color, would it have ripened? If it once starts to turn color, yes, it probably would ripen. Uh, you're always best to leave them on the tree as long as possible. And, you know, there's bird netting and things like that that you can put up or squirrel guards and all. But persimmons are so astringent that uh, if you pick them before they're, they're ripe, uh, or, you know, and, and they will ripen in a windowsill. They won't ripen quite as well as they will on the tree. 
but then at maturity, they are one of the most sweet, wonderful fruits you will find. But let them get fairly well colored, and when you can touch the skin and it yields, you know, just slightly to the touch. You don't want it to be, you know, soft and mushy, but don't pick it when it's rock hard. If it's still that green, it won't mature nearly as well. Uh, can you tell what which tree I have by the shape of the fruit? Because this fruit is almost totally round. That could be Hachia. Um, it could be Taninashi. I'd, I'd have to get out uh, one of my fruit tree guides. You might just Google persimmons or Google Asian persimmons. And uh, they're only about six or eight varieties that are commonly grown and uh, I'm pretty sure it's not Tamilpan. Tamilpan is usually a lot flatter but uh, my guess is uh, Eureka or Taninashi but uh, um, get a you know try to try to take a look online or uh, uh, I tell you people who probably know more about individual varieties than I do would be Mark and Mike over at Fanix. And uh, if you call early or late before their phones get real busy, uh, I'd probably be tell you to trust what they tell you as far as uh, roundness and variety. And if you decide to plant another one, by all means do so. Just get it out in the sun. There are some varieties which do not have, they don't even have to be pollinated, let alone have a second tree. There's some of them that produce fruit through what we call parthenocarpy, which means the fruit develops without being pollinated. Uh, and there's still other varieties that grow best, you know, if you have more than one variety out there. But uh, they're one of the longest live trees. I can't imagine unless a drought got to your tree or something. But uh, uh, the Asian persimmons can live 100 years. So they're, they're a tree that grows slowly but should be in your yard for a long time. Okay, great. Um, <clears throat> I had a uh, really nice uh, orchid, and I kept it out kept all my orchids outside this summer and uh-huh kept them watered and everything and i had um, my best one it was really pretty it was uh i mean it didn't have any blooms on it but the leaves were really pretty and some here again some varmint climbed over the wall that they were sitting on and knocked it off mm. broke one of its uh leaves uh-huh. and of course that one rather quickly turned yellow and fell off but then all the others started to turn yellow and fall off. And I doctored it with some Garrett juice and stuff, and it just continued. All the leaves from the bottom to the top just turned yellow and f- fell off and just left a like a brown shrivel core in the middle, but the roots were still green. Mm-hmm. I've been feeding that and uh, watering it just like the others. Do you think that will come back, or is that gone? If the roots are solid, if you could take and pinch between your thumb and forefinger, um, if they're solid, there's a chance that it it could come back out. I've seen plants in really bad shape recover that way. If the roots feel uh, very soft, almost papery, uh, there'd be a hard core down the middle. But if that outer part of it gets gets very soft and papery, no, that's a bad sign. But if the roots feel firm... Um, then you're doing the right thing. I'd probably use the little Super Thrive, uh, uh, and I would mist them regularly. A commercial grower would probably put them, 
you know, into a terrarium type of situation or, uh, gosh, when I was growing up and, and we did things very, very simply, you'd simply put things in a plastic bag with a little moist sphagnum moss, put it out of the sun and uh, kind of blow that bag up and then put a clothespin over the end, fold it over to keep a little extra humidity around it. But um, there's there's a reasonable chance. Again, if the root's very firm, it will probably come back out. Oh, they're they're firm, so that's why okay. I was yeah. hoping that it, it could recover. And was it still growing in the same material it was growing in when you got it, or have you repotted it? I repotted it about two years ago. Okay, because it's really important to get them out of that sphagnum moss. They start most of them in and get them into a bark mix, uh, Douglas fir bark mix. And some people add a little core to it. Some people add a little perlite, some uh, little charcoal, other things. But um, the reason I ask is had you not, you know, transferred it out of that medium that it started in, uh, after a year or so, they tend to just rot from the base on up. Chances are yours got physically broken, even though that might not be visible. Is why the top of the plant started declining. But uh, um, we'll keep our fingers crossed. It has a good chance to come back out and make a whole new top and ultimately more leaves and flowers. Okay. And one last quick question. Uh, is, is it okay to transplant amaryllis now? Are they are they growing in the ground? Are they growing in pots? Where are they growing? They're in a whiskey barrel, and it's falling apart. I really need to move them to something more substantial. You may delay flowering. This is a time of year that most amaryllis are starting to form their flower stalks. It would be better if you could wait until they've finished blooming and then dig and divide and replant as you need to. Um, if you just have to replant them, it's certainly not going to hurt the plants, uh, but it may delay, it may mean you won't have quite as good flowers this winter. Okay. Thanks, Bob. That's been very helpful. Always a pleasure, and I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's get a break in here. Again, Got a, we have a couple of open phone lines, so you know the number, 210-599-5555. Looks like I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center, and they want me to let you know that they are well-stocked on poinsettias, on Christmas cactus, on blooming amaryllis that we were just talking about, and lots of other good seasonal flowers, so get by and take a look. They also have an excellent selection of uh, bare root strawberries. They have, uh, oh gosh, I could just go on and on, uh, the onion plants. They have garlic by the pound. They have shallots. And they have a lot of shade trees in now. Take advantage of that green uh, tree shade rebate program CPS Energy offers. If you're in the CPS area, you can get up to $50 credit per tree, uh, up to up to a reasonable number of trees, because they want your yard shady. They want your house not using as much energy. Uh, Fanix has the trees that qualify, and uh, they also have a good selection of fruit trees. They've got all your winter vegetables. They've got your winter flowers. And if you want to give a really nice gift, uh, well, think about that eco-lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment, or maybe even a Traeger pellet grill or some of the accessories, or maybe just a gift certificate to Fanix. They've been in that same spot for almost 90 years now. They're open seven days a week to serve you, and you can always check out their website to see what kind of events are going on at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and uh, it's just going to be a nice Saturday out there. Hope you're going to get out and enjoy. It'll be a lot chillier tomorrow, so if you're out shopping for plants or other things that involve being outside, this is going to be the day to do it. Uh, Looks like we've got Edward, Elaine, and Steve ready to talk. Edward is first in line. Good morning, Edward. Hey, good morning, Bob. i got a quick question in regards to a well. We have a well over there. A piece of property west of Pleasanton, and the water is real sticky, real sulfury. Can I use that in my garden beds come springtime? Um, I would have a water test to be sure. A little sulfur is not bad, um, but you want to be sure. Well, sulfur combined with iron can be somewhat toxic. Um, There are filters that your well guy can put on that will... Uh, reduce it, but that's just that little bit of sulfur odor. No, that's not enough sulfur to cause a problem. In fact, it may even be beneficial. Okay, thank you. Uh, one thing I would suggest, though, Edward, is uh, call your local groundwater district. Uh, they can give you the name of, uh, and, and all groundwater districts have uh, test wells, and they get their water tested periodically. They can tell you somebody in the area that for a pretty reasonable price will give you a pretty complete lab analysis of what's in that water. Get that and call me back and we'll talk about if there's anything else to be concerned. But that little bit of rotten egg smell, no, it doesn't make it much fun to drink, but your plants won't notice. Yeah, I know it. Thank you. Have a good day. You do the same, sir. Thank you. Ah, Next in line is Elaine. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. It's going to be a wonderful day out there. Great. I have several questions. Uh, the okay. first one I want to start out with is uh, on a previous program, you talked about trapping gophers, and you were talking about using gum. Uh-huh. How did? What was that process? What were you? How did you go about doing that? Well, it's not trapping; it's killing. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell you a lot. In my college days, uh, one of my professors was doing some research and uh, involved collecting large numbers of gophers. So I can tell you how to trap them. But rather than have to buy the traps and do a lot, I've had a number of callers tell me that they were totally successful with the chewing gum method, so to speak. So uh, you start out by opening the tunnel. And this means when you look, you know, the gopher makes a new mound every night, that fresh little mound of dirt that's pushed up. If you look at it, it will usually be just slightly heart-shaped. And if you go Right. right up to the top, right where the cleft is, dig down at that point, and you will normally find the tunnel that the gopher uses going off both directions. You don't know which end of the tunnel the gopher is in. But, um... And, I, again, um, I'd, I'd used a different trapping method, but I've had a number of uh, people tell me that for whatever reason, juicy fruit seems to be the one they prefer. You do not want to get your scent on it. You want to handle it by that foil wrapper only and uh, just simply put a stick of gum in each end of the tunnel. The gopher detects the change in humidity, realizes the tunnel's been open, and comes pushing a little mound of dirt, um, you know, to seal it back up, finds so the you, gum. Do you, just, do, you just lay that, do, you, do you just lay the stick in the tunnel? That's exactly uh, you know, right. 
Yep. Okay, and hang, ha, handle it handle it by the foil so you're not getting your scent okay. on it, but just kind of stick okay. it as far down in the tunnel as you can. Right. Okay. Well, I've, I've trapped, uh, well, I haven't trapped them. I have a big trap that I, you know, actually kills them. Mm-hmm. And there's some that are really hard to catch, and I just get frustrated after trying to reset the, the trap that I trap them with. Well, not trap them, but it kills them like a big mouse trap. And, well, uh, there's, there's yeah, some I have to do over 10 times reset that thing to finally well, catch them. If you decide to, uh, if you decide to continue to trap it, them, there is a much more effective trap, and uh, it might be made by Victor. And uh, uh-huh. um, you, you go to a feed store or somewhere like that. Very hard to describe exactly how it works, but uh, um, you set it. But the part that actually does the gopher in is back toward the back of the trap. The front of the front of the trap has a little flat pedal that stands up because the gopher's right. coming down the tunnel. Uh, pushing a little bit of dirt, the dirt is pushing, depresses that that blade-like thing that's sticking up. That activates the trap, and the part where the back uh, jumps up and kills the kills the gopher. Yeah, again, you don't know which end of the tunnel the gopher is in. So when we were trapping, we'd always use two traps. Put one and each tunnel uh, tied together with a piece of string, so they don't get dragged back down underground. Put a little stick or something in and just loop the rope around it. And uh, um, the gophers react quickly to having that tunnel open. And we, we used to catch a lot of gophers and would find that usually we catch that gopher within 30 minutes of setting the trap. So if you decide yeah. to go back to trapping, this chewing gum is much easier. And I've had many people tell me that, uh, you know, it worked perfectly for them. I live in the hill country where we have fewer gophers. I you know, caught a very few of them when I first moved out there and haven't had to trap them in many, many years since then. But if you're down south, they're going to be an ongoing issue. So give the chewing gum a try. If that doesn't work, um, uh, talk to me again, and we'll talk about the traps that do work for you without nearly so much work. Okay. What about moles? Because I have trouble with those as well. And I've been able to kill the gophers, get them out of my garden area in my yard, but some moles now, I'm trying to get rid of those things too. And I just haven't had anything that works with them. What do you recommend? Well, there is a trap that kills moles. Now realize that moles don't eat your plants. The gophers will eat your plant. The mole does its damage just by making tunnels everywhere. The mole is just looking for earthworms or uh, grub worms or whatever it can find, and it's just that tunneling action that's the only thing that causes a problem. They're not really harming your plants that much. But if you have moles, you will see you you can see where their tunnels are. They sort of push up, and there'll be like just a little right. little raised roadway in effect. And right. you know that the moles exactly. are moving back and forth underneath that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Victor that makes a mole trap that you take your foot, you crush the tunnel, and then you set the trap on top of it. It also has a like a flat plate pedal. When the mole comes sure. moving down the tunnel, it's pushing upward trying to reopen the tunnel. That's what activates the trap, which kills the mole. Um, okay. It's 100% on top of the ground, and uh, um, <laughs> it looks kind of medieval in nature, and you would want to keep your... Your pets and, and kids and grandkids away from it, but they're they're not dangerous to use. Their their action is simply 
shooting down into the ground basically and skewering the mole if uh that's a not too pleasant way to put it but that's how they work but yeah they are they're very effective you just have to know how to set them yes i've been using one like that but i just haven't been able to catch one at all but I didn't well, realize that it doesn't really hurt my plants, but all, all yeah. that tunneling all over the yard is just messing it up. <laughs> right. I was just trying well, to get rid of that. Find a pronounced tunnel where you can really tell where the tunnel is, collapse it with your heel, push it down, then set the trap right on top of it because the mole will tend okay. to follow back down the tunnel, start trying to push the dirt up uh, in the area that mm-hmm. you set your trap on top of, and usually that will do the job. Perfect. Okay, one last quick quick question. What about what do you recommend fertilizer for a jatropha plant? I are they in the ground or are they in pots? They're in a pot. I would use uh, one of the good liquids. Uh, I actually alternate. I like Medina products, and I alternate the Hasegrow plant uh, with the Medina fish blend. Is what I use in my greenhouse, and it would be wonderful for a jatropha. Be sure you're giving your jatropha lots and lots of light. Is it the jatropha that has the big bulb, or is it the one that's more like a little woody tree? It's like a little woody tree. Yeah, those are those are fun plants and very, very, from a botanist perspective, very interesting flowers. <laughs> and uh, but no, yeah. just just an alternate alternating the two good Medina fertilizers is what I use, and I think your Eutropa would love it. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all this information. Well, you great questions. <laughs> you do the same, Elaine. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Goodbye. Uh, Steve, hang on just a second. She'll be up next, but I need to get a break in here, and I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited, one of my favorite places for holiday shopping because most of the people on my gift list list love being out of doors, and Wild Birds Unlimited is so much more than a bird store. I mean, if you love your yard, if you love being out, you're going to find beautiful things, wind chimes and sun catchers and beautiful uh, fountains. They have uh, bird baths of all sorts. And if you enjoy birding, um, man, they've just got everything there. Lots of different kinds of feeders, many of them with lifetime guarantees. Of course, our hummingbirds have pretty much moved on. But if you're looking for a good gift for anyone that loves hummingbirds, everybody always needs a new Hummer feeder. And they have one with the built-in little water trap to stop the ants. If you're looking at seed feeders, oh, man, you ought to be feeding all winter long. Wild Birds Unlimited not only has the feeders, but they have the proper feed blend for this time of year. They also have various kinds of suet cakes, some with the mealworms and things in it that the birds absolutely love. And they depend on you to help with the wintertime diet. But Wild Birds Unlimited is going to be sure that you've got the right feeder and the right feed. Like I say, lots of gift material as well. It's just a fun place to shop. And if you have questions, they are so familiar not only with birds, but on uh, outdoor activities in general got great optics if you're looking for a reasonably priced pair of binoculars a great place to shop get out and see them they're out on the shopping center at the corner of northwest military and hebner kind of on the side that faces northwest military kyle and his staff would love to meet you and help you make your backyard just a a dream garden for the birds and for your other wildlife as well that's wild birds unlimited South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. 
Oh, kind of a typical Saturday morning. We go from having the lines full to having the lines without so many people. I'm going to talk to Steve next, but uh, you want to get that call in before we get to 8 o'clock when we visit with Howard Garrett. be a real good time to dial 210-599-5555. I say good morning, Steve. Uh, good morning, Bob. Morning, uh, sir. I've got two mature airplane plants hanging on my patio, and uh, I'll... Pretty soon, I'm going to take them into the garage for the winter. Okay. And I'm wondering whether I ought to just cut all the pups off the bottom and throw them away and and trim up the top part of the plant. Or plan B, throw away the plant and just save four or five pups and replant them in a a pot. (laughs) What, What would you do? Um, it really depends on whether the plant's attractive or not. Um, if it, you know, is still a full, nice-looking plant, uh, there, you really don't have to do much of anything. Just fertilize in water, possibly even put it in a bigger hanging basket. Uh, if you want a big, showy basket, airplane plants, chlorophytum is, uh, they're one of the easiest things in the world to grow. Um, if, if the plant is not attractive, um, I probably would plant two or three baskets, you know, with the little plantlets that out or on the end of those little stems they send out. But uh, uh, it's it's really just your choice. There are three different forms of airplane plant. There's a solid green, and then there is one that has uh, kind of white on the outside and then green stripes in the middle. Other has greener on the outside and white stripes toward the middle of the leaf. The ones that are real thick and waxy, that is going to be the easiest one to grow. Those are actually more cold-hardy in a mild winter. People will use them as a ground cover and flower beds, and they last from year to year. But I I just kind of judge by how the big plant looks. If it's, uh, if it is overall attractive, uh, you can take off or leave the pups. You may have friends that uh, would like to have a start of it. But whether you leave them on or take it off, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference. The plant, with little care, is going to continue to grow and continue to take more and more of those little shoots coming out. Well, that that answers my question. I think uh, it's time to flip a coin. <laughs> well, uh, again, I think periodically it's good to get some new blood, so to speak, to get get a fresh start. And uh, it's real easy. Take the plantlets out there that have started to form a little root mass down at the base. They don't have to have long roots. But uh, 10-inch hanging basket, I'd put about three of those in there. And first thing you know, you'll have another big, full, beautiful basket. Just uh, um, depending on the variety, you may have to protect them on colder nights. And if you do bring them in, keep them in the sunniest window you can. Outside, they would be happiest with sun in the morning, shade in the afternoon, inside your home they want the sunniest window you have all right bob i appreciate the info well always a pleasure i appreciate the call this morning steve thank you sir um let's see was there anything else other than uh talking about holiday plants the amaryllis the uh christmas cacti the poinsettias uh also look at anthuriums if you want a 
gorgeous red plant that not many people are going to have. There's some really beautiful anthurium varieties out there. That's a waxy flower. You frequently see it as a cut flower because it'll last about a month as a cut bloom. But if you have a bright place to grow them, they're not all that difficult to grow. And there are some incredible new varieties, not just the traditional waxy, bright, bright red. Uh, there's some that are almost purple in color, some that are white, some that are pink. One of my favorite new ones is a red and white combination. It's almost like red veins through the uh, through what passes for the flower. Um, but anyway, anthuriums, if you're looking to have or give a most unusual flower for Christmas. Be sure and take a look at those. And uh, do remember, too, that it's there lots and lots of things that you can be planting out in the out in the garden right now. So uh, flowers, cyclamen in the shade, pansies, johnny jump-ups, dianthus, snapdragons, all those things will grow in the sun. Uh, looks like all of a sudden we have Stephen and Jim and Connie wanting to talk. So let's get back to the phone line. Stephen's first in line. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Bob, I had uh, I laid down some zoysia sod in the summer, and it did very well, uh, very healthy. And all of a sudden, over the last two or three weeks, I have what I think is a fungus moving across the lawn. It started off as a few patches, and now it's uh, a raging inferno. And it's uh, there's a distinctive line as it's moving, and the leaves are kind of brownish yellow kind of mottled uh not all the leaves but maybe half of them in any given area uh have i got this uh, number one you think it's a fungus number two uh, what do i do for it did you get a narrow bladed zoysia or a wider leaf zoysia wider leaf okay don't do that again that's that plant is much much more susceptible to different fungi than the than the you know more narrow leaf types um it probably is a fungus i would treat it with uh, whole ground cornmeal about a pound of cornmeal per 500 square feet um and i would follow up with a little bit of compost on top of it uh but that variety what you got is probably called jammer j-a-m-u-r and uh it is just an extremely susceptible type of zoysia next time um go with uh emerald or one of the narrower leaf varieties and you won't have nearly as much trouble but since you have the jammer uh, i would treat i just make it a point every fall when the weather starts to cool down i'd put out the whole ground cornmeal because it's unfortunately it's fairly common in that type of zoysia but uh it should come back green uh the brown patch doesn't normally totally kill all the grass but it sure make it look lousy uh, so put down your cornmeal put a little compost on type come spring Hopefully things will come out a little bit better. It'll take about three weeks to really kick in, and at that point you should you should see it, uh, you know, not apparently spreading. the The disease has already spread into some areas. Some areas that are already affected haven't turned brown yet, but they're going to turn brown regardless of what you do. Uh, but the trichoderma that grows on the cornmeal will arrest the growth of that fungus. Now, Bob, uh, how thick should I put the compost on top? Ah, uh, quarter to half an inch. Okay, so a pretty good amount. Yeah, well, it's a, the way I do it is, you know, I'll use a wheelbarrow. If I'm actually buying bulk compost, I take a hard rake, uh, the rake that has the stiff tines, flip it upside down, and just use that bar on top to rake it back and forth and let it settle down in. 
But uh, it's, it's, you know, you can figure exactly how much, but a uh, quarter of an inch, uh, it's not a lot of compost. It's a fair amount of exercise, and if you do it all at once, it's a fair amount of work. But uh, that's going to be your best way. The cornmeal is going to stop the fungus. The compost is going to help the grass regrow and be more resilient in the future. Just one uh, application, or should I do this in a, in a 60-day interval uh, a couple of times? I'd- I, I probably, the, the fungus is going to show up when the days are warm and the nights uh, are cool. So, yes, probably a, a, a preventative application in the fall, but usually just once in the fall, and it'll carry you through the growing season. Okay, that's a great advice. I sure appreciate your help, Bob. Always a pleasure. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Uh, Don, let's get our last break of the hour in. Uh, I don't have any live, so let's get that done, and we'll be back and visit with Jim and Connie. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Uh, Looks like we've got plenty of time to take a couple of calls. First will be Jim and then be Connie. Good morning, Jim. Hey, uh, happy Saturday to you. (laughs) It would be a happier Saturday if one of my law enforcement friends hadn't just texted me a picture of the fourth car in three weeks to go through my fence but uh that's a whole oh, other God. story it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be a good saturday what's going on in your world well uh i've got a i've got a kind of a broad situation here and then i have a couple of specific species questions uh, plant species questions i want to ask you i got uh I've uh, I've talked to you before. I'm helping a, a guy in Hayes County that's got a, a huge ranch, and and mm-hmm. we're working to restore it. And uh, one question is is I've always heard that like pine bark and pine needles adds acid uh, uh, improves the acidity of of soil. Is that true? Very very slightly. Um, and you know, if you are in East Texas, which Hayes County really isn't, but, um, and you've got, you know, centuries of pine needles dropping leaves and all, is the question, do the pines grow better because the soil's already acidic or are the pine trees helping to keep it acidic? And, uh, if you had a situation, you know, where you were trying to improve the soil, I would be going with mulch or compost based on material that already grows there, whether it's, you know, leaf mold or whatever else. Uh, um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of pine needles, uh, you know, brought to other parts, other parts of the world. But, uh, uh, so that's, that's not the material I would use. I would use shredded native tree trimmings. I would use, uh, uh, if it's an area where, you know, a compost-type product is economically viable, then I would be using a leaf mold compost or something based on materials from that area. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And it, it clear, it, it clear. I had a couple more questions, and you already answered them, but I've got one more in specific. Uh, okay. There's a, I, just, an, you know, an, un, an unbelievable amount of, of of uh, dead weesatch trees up here from the freeze in 2021, right? And I, I'm I'm real fortunate because when I, I I I run all this stuff through a chipper and I'm out, I actually keep all the tree species separate, the the piles uh-huh. of chips separate. Well, the weesatch trees it comes out almost like sawdust, right? And um, and mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if that stuff is 
would that be included in your in your native species to make compost out of? Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and keep in mind that the smaller the particle size is, the more surface area you have for the microbes to break it down. Uh, ideally, the further you can grind that material down, the faster it's going to go from mulch to compost, the faster it's going to go to work uh, putting organic material back into the soil. So, yeah, I have no problem with the wee satch, and you're not likely to have a lot of seeds in there. The fact that it comes out very fine is going to make it actually better rather than worse to include. Well, that's 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 great news because I've got a mountain of it, and the mountain is growing because there's, there's, there are so many dead that from that freeze, I mean, they just we just well, I I don't know that that's a, a negative, um, uh, except for the cleanup is taking right. a long time. Right, and lots of them have decided to come back, so it will be a cyclical thing. But uh, no, listen, it's a pleasure talking to you. You're doing it the right way. Uh, let me get Connie in here before we run up to the top of the hour. Thank you, Jim, and good morning, Connie. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I live in deep East Texas, and okay. I ha- we have purchased the house we're living in about a year ago. Um, I have four uh, gardenia bushes mm-hmm. uh, that went through the winter without protection, and I had cut off some of what was obviously dead wood. Right. Um, I'm wondering... Uh, oddly, from what I've read, they normally bloom in the spring and summer, but these did not bloom until probably about a month ago, and okay. they started blooming, and they still have blooms on uh-huh. them. I'm wondering, um, they do need to be shaped up and pruned back. They do have blooms and buds on them right now, and I'm just wondering how to take care of them through the winter and to prepare them for next uh, next year. Most importantly, fertilize and gardenias. You're you're in a, a better area for gardenias than than certainly where we are. Uh, but there's a marvelous product. Uh, this stuff is just amazing what it does on plants that like iron and tend to yellowing. But it's called azomite, A C O M I T E. It's not a fertilizer, but it's the best micronutrient blend I've ever seen. And I would very definitely put a cup or two just on the soil underneath uh, those gardenias. Mulch them heavily. Uh, gardenias would love to have two inches of mulch, just, you know, common uh, mulch that you can get in your area, uh, and just the same kind of fertilizer you put on your grass. Medina, Maestro Grow, Nature's Creation, just any good basic organic fertilizer. If you need to trim them and shape them, Plan on doing it late January, early February when the plants are as dormant as they're going to get during the winter. Without knowing the variety, I can't tell you exactly when to expect them to bloom. This was such a weird, hot summer. It's why things are a little bit off-kilter. But there are varieties like August Beauty that always bloom late summer. There are varieties like Mystery and some of the others that always bloom early summer. So uh, it's just kind of typical. I never use the word normal. Uh, but bottom line Fertilize them, add some azomite, mulch them heavily, and uh, put off your pruning till around February 1st, and uh, that should do the job for you. Call me back right after 8.30 if you want to talk a little bit more. I've got to go to news here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
All right, back to gardening and uh, uh, just a, a foggy, wet Saturday morning out there across the hill country. What are things like up in the Metroplex, Mr. Dirt Doctor friend Howard Garrett? Well, the weather is incredibly nice, but um, we're uh, having a very interesting time managing the leaves right now. I had a guy come over and spend about four hours a couple of days ago, and the leaves were back on the ground before he <laughs> left doing all the work and giving me a bill. So he's coming back Tuesday. The ginkgo is raining uh, yellow leaves out there right now. I'll try to do a little quick video and send it to you. Well, uh, you, I, I got the got the picture of it, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, may, maybe we need to take our own advice and just uh, mulch them up and leave them there. Because, man, if you're trying to if you're trying to keep it clean, it's <laughs> it's going to be an ongoing issue. That's for sure. Well, that's what we do. We uh, we mulch them into the small area of turf that we have, and then the bulk of them we blow out onto the driveway and we mow them with a mower and grind them up and that reduces the volume you know about 80 percent or something and then they go back and to cover bare areas and beds and into our giant compost pile in the back that's holding in the bamboo you know that's holding up the world back there so they're all used <laughs> oh yeah all recycled natural recycling and uh that uh, you probably heard in my caller in Hayes County that was just talking about mulches. That that's what you recommend, isn't it? Is trying to use material from as close to home as possible when you're trying to get organic material back in the soil, and uh, as opposed to bringing in material from far away, the material on on somebody's yard is about the best thing you can do to to mulch up and fortify that soil. Oh, I think it's by far the best. My favorite mulch, without question, is ground up tree trimmings that uh, came from trees on your property that's by far the best mulch and then the second best is you know bring some in that are regionally available you know from yep. the stores the last thing you want to do is be buying pine bark or cypress that's shipped in from florida or some other part of the world yeah yeah any mulch and is better than no mulch but there's uh, there's really a big difference in the quality of the different ones that are available to people unfortunately you know, there's people that are on the radio and ride columns around here in North Texas that recommend <laughs> pine bark every other breath, you know. And it's really too bad because that's one of the worst mulches you can you can put out. The worst one's rubber, ground-up rubber. And then the second one are the uh, dyed mulches. They're mm -hmm. the second worst because they're 100% wood and lumber and can be contaminated. And even if the dye is not a toxic dye you're putting out something that doesn't have any balance that's what's so great about the uh, tree limbs that are ground up into mulch You've right perfect carbon to nitrogen ratio in that stuff and you put it in a pile and forget about it and about nine months later it'll be the prettiest compost you've ever seen and uh, that's why it works so well as a uh, as a mulch and I think the only thing that is worse than using those other materials that you were just talking about is putting down some weed block underneath it and then putting mm -hmm. that cruddy stuff on top of it. And yep. I, it just, I'm like you. It never ceases to amaze me that, uh, that people who pass themselves off as experts and ought to be educated just keep on recommending the same 
you know, bad practices, you know, time after time after time. But hopefully, and I hear back from so many people that listen to you and listen to me and just always talking about how much their landscape has improved when we have taught them the right way to do things. So but there's... There's hope, but uh, we sometimes feel like we're fighting an uphill battle. Down here, our other on-air personalities, shall we say, at least acknowledge organics, and even though they may continue to push Roundup and some of the other things we don't approve in, at least they don't uh, they don't fight us and tell people what we're doing is wrong. So I don't know. Maybe there's hope out there. <laughs> yeah, it's moving. It's moving the right direction. We're doing some new landscape projects. You know, I've done. I've done projects on ranches before where I've designed uh, real kind of uh, interesting vegetable and herb gardens, but I've got, I'm doing one now for a corporate headquarters, and it's going to be a, a series of great big mazes that are going to have, well, I, I showed it to you. I saw yeah, you and Roberta yeah. on there. We've got the plans finalized. I took your advice, by the way, and added the little uh, six-inch curbs to the edges of the uh, uh. beds, and the owner's really fired up about it and ready to get it. It's being bid uh, right now. But the next project, the same owner is doing a, a housing development that's tiny houses. They're going to be 600 to 800 square feet, but really uh-huh. good-looking, and they're using super high-quality everything in the houses, and they came to me about designing the landscape, working with the architects on the landscape, and I said, you know, this is such an unusual project. The first one, there are going to be several of them around the country once they get rolling on it, but the first one's going to have 15 units, 15 houses. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you think about the idea of me designing the landscape so that every plant is an edible or useful herb of some kind? And he went crazy about the idea, and we're <laughs> in the in the process of designing that now, but that that's going to be really a lot of fun. We're going to kind of combine the maze idea with some free-flowing circulation systems and everything and, and edible crops that will range all the way from edible flowers, herbs, and vegetables, uh, edible flowers on trees like red buds and things like that. And then we'll do some trees that aren't really edible but have a use like uh, the Mexican white oak. The Mm -hmm. foliage cut from that plant makes beautiful cut flower arrangement material. It Ah. stays green for a pretty good long time, but when it turns brown, the leaves stay attached to the Mm -hmm. stems, and it it continues to be a really nice uh, arrangement, you know, ingredient for your... uh, flower arrangements inside the house and of course we've talked a lot about the viburnum odoratissima those sure those things stay evergreen and, and root in water and so we'll put a bunch of them into the uh, design but anyway it's going to be a lot of fun doing this is this stuff. is this an area where uh where bay laurel is a possibility or is it an area that gets a little too chilly yeah, it is, and we'll probably push the envelope a little bit and, and just make them understand that and teach them about floating row cover and some other other things. They, mine has died to the ground twice, but it's still mm-hmm. alive. I mean, it's still coming out of the ground. So yeah. uh, under the organic program, I think that, uh, yeah, it needs to be, there needs to be at least some of those in the uh, mix. I'm going to pretty much put all of the plants that I currently have in the entry on dirtdoctor.com uh-huh. uh, about 
edible and useful plants. They're going to all be in the mix, and then we'll probably add a few other things to it and just try to, you know, be as cavalier and push the envelope as much as we can so it'll be as much fun as possible. Well, we just we have to remember that, you know, our, our bay laurels were good for 20 or 30 years before we got into this spell of really chilly weather and uh it's you know gardening in general is a gamble but that sounds like a fun project and this uh this tiny house it, idea is something that it's it's just amazing and you know it's compared to living in a tiny apartment in a glass high-rise building or something man i'll i'll take you know a pretty spot in the country anytime and it the the reassuring thing is it sounds like the, this person is doing it right uh, as opposed to just, you know, bulldozing. He's a great guy. He's a yeah. great guy. And let me tell you the rest of the story. There's a little bit more to the story. He's going, He's making these, he, he's having to work with the cities because you've got to change some of the, the um, building requirements, you know, because mm-hmm. of the set, setbacks and the size of these houses and everything and the density and all. But these, this first project is going to be available to only employees of the city and especially people that don't have a whole lot of money uh-huh. even though they're going to use uh, e-pay uh, for the wood inside the house and just all kinds of other real high quality things but they're going to keep the pricing such that uh, you know people that don't make a whole lot of money can afford them the next project they do he's going to get into making them available for vets that have some problems and mm-hmm. um, you know first responders and, and that kind of thing. He really, he really uh, is thinking you know well. He's a good guy. Hope somebody writes a book about him someday because that's that that's the kind of thing that just makes you think that that some of the world is headed in the right direction despite the fact of, of where most of it's going. But it sounds like gosh, just an incredible person to be associated with and. I'm glad he. I'm glad he turned to you for assistance in doing this. My my one other suggestion that I would make, and and granted these are small structures, but if there's any way that he can include rainwater catchment on those roofs to help with uh, with watering the landscape that you're doing, I I'm not sure you know where exactly this is, but I'm telling people in the hill country that the day is coming when rainwater is going to be your only really reliable water source and. Uh, uh, you know, you've already got a roof. All you need is gutters, and uh, if you have room to put in a tank, even if it's not a huge tank, uh, it's the best water you can put on your landscape. Well, not only are they going to be doing that, but I was going to call you and talk to you about this. They want to do the injection stuff or whatever it's called that helps recharge the aqu- aquifers. And, um, you know, I know you're really involved in that, and they're he, very interested in that. There's going to be solar panels on top of the parking area covers. So wow. you know they're thinking about doing everything, everything right. But this, yeah, this water deal, and I'm not near knowledgeable enough about it. We're going to be working with uh, you know the architects and some engineers that he's bringing in on that. But any advice you have about who we can talk to about the uh, as sophisticated uh, a water saving situation as possible we're definitely going to put that into the project well i you know it'll be a great pleasure to help there where we can um the best the best way to go on that uh 
uh, to stay stay on good terms with state and everybody else is actually going to be just uh, detention and let it naturally infiltrate. Uh, when we start talking about injecting water back into the aquifer, the state has, and, and in most areas it's probably a good idea, it's highly regulated and uh, not done well. They, they force anybody that actually wants to do injection to highly chlorinate the water um, mm. to put it back in. Right. So um, a, a natural detention system or bioswales or whatever we want to call it, and uh, that's, that's a great thing to design into the landscape, as you well know. But uh, <laughs> don't use the word injection too much. You're going to have people from the state breathing down your neck saying, no, 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 you're not going to do this. You're going to have to buy by all these other restrictions. And um, it's well, that's uh, good to know because I think that's a, that's a really you know, good and, uh, and po- would be a popular thing to do. Retention yeah. ponds are going to be tough because of the yeah. size of the property. Uh, but setting up uh, the parking situations and the paving so that mm-hmm. they're, uh, you know, can, can filter down. That may be the only way we can go on that, it's, that particular it, yeah, idea. Yeah, it, it's probably going to be, and I'll, I'll, when I put these sprayers sitting on my desk ready to go into a box, I'll put in a couple, I'll put in a couple of copies of a real simple little book together that we put together as a groundwater district uh that just it just has a lot of good suggestions but it has a lot about rainwater catchment and you know distribution and things like that but the uh uh the the term that most people are going to use is called ASW which stands for aquifer storage and recovery and um uh it it's a it, it's just very complex. Uh, we'll, we'll have a long discussion when we're talking on the phone sometime uh, about it. But uh, it is, and probably of necessity, it is highly regulated. But uh, our local water provider did such a poor job of it. Uh, and they're as busy as they can pumping water out of our regulated aquifer and transferring it to an unregulated aquifer where they can take it back without any restrictions. But that's just a whole other story. But they put so much chlorine in the water uh, that they were re-injecting into the aquifer that they killed about a 1,000 olive trees and have been having to drill new wells for people because they contaminated their wells so badly. So it's yeah, it's a great idea. Purpose, yep. yeah. Yeah, but anyway, we can. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to uh, provide whatever... Whatever help I can on that, but uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But overall, yeah, we'll the projects, about. yeah, the project sounds absolutely outstanding <laughs> and being done right, and and the plant material being done right as well. Well, plus it'll be totally one hundred percent hardcore organic. That's the other <laughs> good thing. All these projects will say. I got switching gears dramatically. I've got a couple of. Uh, things to add on your garlic uh, conversation earlier, uh-huh. and uh, uh, one other thing, if I don't forget it, the uh, on the garlic management as far as when to harvest. You mentioned waiting till they fall over. We have mm-hmm. learned the hard way. I've worked the guy that got me started with my elephant garlics. Is he goes by the name Garlic Mike here in the Dallas uh-huh. area. Yeah, and uh, we have. Uh, communicated through the years and I communicate with some other people that are growers around the country and one of the things that's interesting about garlic is if you 
if you wait too long to harvest it, the garlic will still be okay to eat. Mm -hmm. But two things happen. The, the cloves start to separate instead of staying in a firm bulb. Huh. And, and the, uh, the, what do you call it, the uh, paper-like covering starts to uh, loosen, and the storage life of the garlic uh, cloves goes drops like a rock. It really goes really? down. You, you, you can you can still eat it, and it's still great uh, right after harvest. But after a period of time, it starts drying out and just doesn't have near as much uh, shelf life. You can still eat it even after it does that, but it's not going to have the uh, medicinal value and the, even the flavor quite as much. So the best way on our elephant garlic and on we think on most other garlics across the board is that the best time to harvest, and you can dig down and, and look at it and see what's going mm -hmm. on too. You don't have to dig it all up and say, oops, I made a mistake. But as soon as the tips of the leaves start to turn brown, ah, okay. that's the time to harvest the garlic in most cases, to give yourself the best bulbs and the best storage uh, life. Well, I will so, clarify, yeah, I'll clarify that in the future. That's the time that, at least in our area, that mostly the tops start to fall over. They tend to fall a long time before they yellow, and I don't know whether it's the wind or whether the leaves just get leaker. Yeah, but uh, but I will certainly... I'll certainly be a little bit more specific in clarifying, and I very much appreciate uh, the explanation on that. That's great. Yeah, and if, if you see anything different on the different uh, kinds of garlic, let us know. We're seeing it pretty much across the board. He, Mike and I have talked about it uh, quite a bit, and I've planted a lot of different garlic. On, on the other hand, the, the elephant garlic has, has produced better than anything I've ever planted. And, <laughs> and along those lines, if people want to get some of a start of that, you can join the Organic Club of America, and we have corns as one of the things that uh, you get as a uh, bonus. There's also, if you join for five years now, I think Doug's doing a deal where he's giving out a copy of the big book, Texas oh, Garden, wow. The Natural Way, and a couple of other things, too. So that's, people might want to look great. at that. It's under the red button up at the top of the page at dirtdoctor.com. I think we may even have some cloves left, mm -hmm. not just corns of the uh -huh. uh, elephant garlic, too. And the thing that I like about that is it is, it's truly perennial. And if you have oh, a yeah. year that you just get really busy and don't get around to harvesting, don't worry. It will be back next year bigger and better than ever. It's uh, something that, that doesn't have to be harvested and replanted. It, at least in, in my garden, it's, it's perennialized. Uh, and, and I found that out interestingly just when, you know, a couple of years went by that it, toward the, toward the time that we'd normally harvest, just got too busy to do that. So, um, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's great stuff. I love the elephant garlic, and uh, uh, I think everybody everybody should be growing garlic. It just has so many different benefits and so many different uses. And it's tasty. One of the things that uh, you you said there, I'll tell you how strong that, that is. Right now, I've got beautiful garlic foliage coming up all over our vegetable garden. <laughs> <laughs> and I had plant one thing. <laughs> it's, it's just coming back from the re 
residual of corns that were kicked off in the ground and the rounds, you know, that are a year old and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's another fun part about that. Plant. Well, and and talking about coming up everywhere, be be cautious in planting garlic chives. <laughs> there's oh, a the, there's a big difference in garlic chives and onion chives because, but they're a beautiful plant. But you talk about something that can be invasive. Uh, okay. they sure do, they sure do put down the seed and, uh, and even after a really hard winter when they freeze back pretty badly, they, they sure do come back, come back strong. One of the uh, things I'll design in, two things I'll design in as ground covers in this project I was telling you about, uh-huh. uh, will be, will be, uh, uh, oregano, uh, Greek oregano and mm-hmm. also, uh, garlic chives. And I'll just explain to them that the way you've got to maintain that to keep them from spreading out across the entire property is that when they're in bloom with those white flowers, you cut those white flowers, you take them inside and put them in a vase. They're beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you do not allow them to go to seed because those little black seeds will shatter and will plant the whole neighborhood. <laughs> That's <laughs> truer words never spoken, and uh, I'm sure another thing that has become one of our favorite plants that uh, you know very well is the African blue basil. Uh, oh talk yeah, about, it's going to be in the mix. Yeah, it's such a hardy plant. I love basil in general, yeah. but we had oh golly, Roberta planted in her perennial garden uh, in, in right in. Oh, it's kind of in the central part of the garden in front of her house. But I can't tell you how many bumblebees we counted uh, mid to late summer and on. It is absolutely wonderful for the pollinators. The butterflies love it. Talk about a hardy plant. It's still beautiful. We haven't had a hard freeze yet. We may get frost uh, tomorrow night. But uh, that has been just a champion through this hot, dry summer. Oh, it's great. It'll be in the mix for sure. You bet. Something else that uh, we both wanted to ask you if you were aware of, um, because it just, I'd I'd heard of it, but never really looked at it that much. But are you familiar with the, I don't know whether you call it an app or website called iNaturalist? It is a website where if something, if you're observing something interesting in your landscape or out in the country or whatever else, take a picture, post it here. And apparently there are a number of very good uh, people with scientific backgrounds that will uh, will respond and help you figure out what's going on. And one example of this came up. We saw a kind of scat that neither one of us had ever seen. And uh, uh, we showed it to a friend uh used to be with Parks and Wildlife. And he said, oh, if you ever have anything like that come up, just post it on iNaturalist and uh Somebody will come up with an answer to it. In this case, it was from uh, a ringtail. And we were talking about Eve's necklace, the, the uh, mountain laurel cousin. And he was telling us not only does the ringtail scat look very much like the seed pods on Eve's necklace, but that's the only animal they know that eats those. But anyway, just got a lot of information in a small area. But if you don't know about iNaturalist, check it out sometime. Well, I don't, but I definitely will. It's the letter I. Yes, uh uh-huh. Naturalist. Okay. Yes. I will definitely look into it. That sounds fantastic. One I other, think it's... a quick step on yeah. something that you talked about uh, with one of your listeners either last week or the week before, Adventitious Roots. I sent you three photographs. I don't know if you've right. noticed them yet. Right. The, of a pecan tree 
that's a that's a those were a pecan a couple of pecans. I don't think it was just one tree in a in a research project that I was involved in down in Hamilton, Texas. Right, I remember. Doctor Joe Bradford was in charge of it. Super guy. Uh-huh. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. I need to uh, see what he's up to, but. Anyway, uh, in addition to doing the organic research that he did there, he also uh, uncovered some of the trees at our uh, request, our suggestion, and you can see that they were uh, over a foot too deep in the ground. But the most interesting thing that we ran into, you you mentioned to one of your listeners that adventitious roots are kind of fuzzy and all, and that's true. Uh, that uh, ginkgo that we had so deep on a residential property here, near my house, mm-hmm. had a whole bunch of fuzzy stuff, but it also had some big roots, and you can see that that can happen on that pecan. Great yeah. big roots by themselves going out perpendicular, going out at 90-degree angle from the growth of the trunk. It's really interesting to see that, and my normal recommendation on that is to, if you do it in the fall or in the winter, cut them all off, every one of them. If you run into that in the growing season, and if the largest ones are growing over in the air after you've exposed the base uh-huh. and dipping into the ground, I would leave them until fall or, or winter, and then at that point cut them all away. People, yeah. I think, are, are worried about hurting the tree by doing that. But if you do it in the dormant uh, season, not only is it not going to hurt anything, it's going to stimulate uh, growth, uh, root growth activity down at the flare or below where it should be. I yeah, uh, that's just amazing pictures, and uh, I didn't know I, I didn't know where all you'd gotten all of that uh, the good pictures and the information, but that makes sense. But it's I think pecans are maybe one of the worst, but oak trees may be the same. This oak tree that you looked at with us that we have since uh, used the air spade to expose and take out uh, those girdling roots. Uh, um it's it's amazing what a problem it is and it can it can actually and i think that was what was happening on this oak tree probably would have killed the tree and uh it's going to be real interesting to see how it revives and comes back having gotten the problem well under control with some, some professional help yeah it's going to be interesting to watch because yours had gotten in pretty pretty severe stress there but it's uh it's just Something that I've run into, and I've seen it on several different varieties, not just pecans, but mm-hmm. occasionally if they're deep in the ground, they're going to kick out an adventitious root way up above the flare and send it growing straight out. We probably ought to, we probably ought to come up with a list uh, that that is most common on, because I guess when we're talking about uncovering the flares, it, we really need to inform people about that because uh, probably, uh, without a doubt, the most commonly buried too deep plants we see here are crepe myrtles. And uh, I've not seen the big roots. I've seen that net-like root growth, you know, just almost daily where people, uh, you know, bring in pictures and things. But uh, the adventitious roots, that's that's a real good thing to bring up and uh, in fact, we may blow some of these pictures up and print just to show people what we're talking about. Well, I think it can happen on just about any variety, but David Vaughn may have some input on that once he's seen that happen on the most. 
Yeah. And I'll uh, continue to. I, I've got some good pictures that I haven't been able to find yet. You don't ever have that problem, do you? File something you can't find later on. <laughs> and, and then I'll sometimes it, yeah, it, it magically reappears. Roberta's uh, been working on the conservation easement project and uh, uh, had had the same thing with some unusual plants that we found over the years that she thought were just totally disappeared. And then all of a sudden they reappeared when she went a little further back. But yeah, the uh, one of the things that I make myself do periodically is go through my phone and eliminate duplicate pictures because it's really easy to get thousands of pictures in there and then you can't find the one that you want. Well, I've got 75,000 so I guess I can, I can have a problem finding things if I don't put it in right. I'm getting better now on the new stuff to put, put it in folders, you know, where I can find it. Plus yep. the phone and the computer can help you find things by date and by location yep. sometimes too. So right. anyway. Well, as always, I've enjoyed our visit. I got a couple of other, uh, couple of other interesting things that we'll talk about but we'll just wait and do that next week and uh uh look forward to that and get to get to wish everybody a happy christmas season we'll talk again before the actual day comes along but anybody that restricts their celebration to one day is missing out this is just a beautiful time of year this year especially and uh should be a really happy time for everybody so as you always say get out and enjoy those organic gardens well merry christmas and happy holidays everybody we'll see you next week Look forward to it, Howard. Thanks again. Appreciate it so much. Appreciate it so much. <laughs> ah, bye. All right. That's Mr. Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor. And, uh, again, dirtdoctor.com, best website on the Internet for gardens and gardening questions. Ah, we'll get a break in here and have time for probably a couple more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening here, and uh, we do have a few folks who want to talk. Looks like we're going to talk to Ron and Stephen and Mark. That's probably going to take us to the top of the hour because we've got to get one more break in. But right now, good morning, Ron. Good morning, Bob. Morning, hey, sir. Uh, we planted a clematis, clematis, potato, mm-hmm. pigment, whatever, and uh, about three years ago, and it's taken a while for it to establish itself. This this year it did quite well. Good. But we have uh, some green leaves on it yet and uh-huh. a lot of brown leaves on it. Uh-huh. Uh, are, can I consider those brown ones as dead vine? Because, boy, it's a no. tangle of stuff. No. It's, the clematis are, it, is yours white flowered? What color is the flower on yours? It's a big white flower. I think they call it Henry I. Yeah, and it is one of the most beautiful things, but it's the funniest thing. That that one is the only, there's so many clematis hybrids that they grow up north, and that white one is the only one that I've seen do well here. And uh, my business partner has one of those in her garden, and I've observed it for years. But those leaves will turn brown. Those vines will look like they are dead, shriveled up totally dried up and gone, and yet that's where the new growth and the new flowers come out next spring. So if you want to clip the dead leaves off, you can certainly do that, but don't start cutting on that vine because no matter how bad it looks, chances are it's still alive and it's going to come back and be fuller and prettier than ever next year. 
Well, boy, that's a relief because I thought, how in the world am I going to get in there with that mix of green <laughs> and pick out the vine? Yeah. Now, if you want to go through and just, you know, do a little manicure work to make it a little bit more attractive, but um, no, that is an outstanding plant. I wish we could get that more available in the nursery trade because it's just such a beautiful flower and uh I don't know, she's had hers for probably 10 years or longer and uh, wish it was more widely available because people that move from the north and want to grow to their clematis or jackmanii hybrids and things, um, they just don't do well here. But that white one apparently does very well. We actually have two native species of clematis that uh, grow in the hill country that are pretty but certainly not as nearly as showy as the one that you have. Yeah, I, the, I was amazed at the size of the blossoms on this mm-hmm. plant. Compared to, I think you mentioned uh, another clematis, uh, Jacqueline or something like that. Jack, Jack Manai, yeah. Yeah, that's a kind of a purple-blue flower, it, is it? Actually, it's a whole series, and there are a bunch of different colors, but uh, um, they're, they just don't do anywhere nearly as well here. So you've got the good one. The blooms uh, on those other just don't compare size-wise to the right. ones of these. Okay, Bob, thanks so much. Well, thanks for sharing, Ron, and I uh, hope I made your day a little easier. <laughs> oh, yeah, a whole lot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're certainly welcome. Uh, Don, why don't we go ahead and get our last break done so that we'll know exactly how much time we have left. We'll talk to Stephen and Mark and see where we go from there. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, well, back to gardening, and uh, it is going to be a beautiful Saturday out there, at least a little warmer than uh, than it's going to be for the next few days. So uh, if you're out and about, and truly, the poinsettias, the Christmas cactus, uh, amaryllis, in my opinion, prettier than uh, we've seen in several years. So uh, if you're out and about, get by a good nursery and take a look and see what the beautiful holiday flowers look like. Uh, back to the phone lines. Uh, we've got Stephen and Mark waiting. Stephen's first in line. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, so I do have a gardening question, but I couldn't wait to call and tell you because I heard you and our Garrett talking about pictures on your phone and duplicates. And I agree, filtering through there. Uh-huh. But I had to share that if you carry the more popular phone out there, smartphone out there, you uh-huh. can actually go into your gallery, hit the word search, and let's say you were looking for a fish that you caught four years ago or about, <laughs> and it will search and pull up every fish in your gallery, 75,000 pictures or not, including Amazing. That, including pictures of texts or websites that say the word fish. Wow. So there's your uh, smartphone tip of the day. I appreciate that very, very much, and I do thank you. <laughs> you can, and then you can filter it by day. So if you're looking for a flower or something, you can Great idea. just search whatever term you want, pictures of people, pants, clothes, hat, whatever. So well, thank you. Thank you, thank Nobody you for broadening my technical knowledge. <laughs> I, had to, I had to share because every time I'm with somebody and they're like, "I can't find this picture," I'm like, "Try searching it." So, yeah. uh, so my gardening question is uh, Western soapberry. Uh huh. It appears that they have some decent color. Is that a good tree for this yeah. area? It's it's a it's a good hill country tree. They don't make a real big tree. They're uh, not. 
they're they're low growing. I'll put it that way. Probably on about the size range of an Eve necklace. Uh, I want to say that out in nature, uh, ten twelve feet is about as big as I've seen. In a landscape, they might get a little bit bigger, but uh, they're an excellent native plant. Uh, no question about it. Can I do it as like an understory tree? I'm I'm really interested in things like um, you know Mexican buckeye, everything that's colored up right now. Right. Uh, the soapberry takes a little bit more sun than the buckeye does. Um, the buckeye is, is probably our best understory tree as far as color. Uh, if, you, if your soapberry got at least half-day sun, it would probably also be a good choice. But uh, most of the really colorful things, and it's partly because you need the, you know, the sunlight to bleach out the green pigment chlorophyll is broken down by sunlight and that's what lets the anthocyanins and the carotenoids and all those colors that we love to see that's what lets them show through uh the uh mexican buckeye is one of the few that in a shady area still develops real good color but uh, so berry's a good choice uh, as is flame sumac but uh they you know they they would like at least half day of sun to give you really good color fantastic that was the other one that's all I got. I had to. Call. You get out and have a great weekend. And again, thanks again for the help. <laughs> you bet. I appreciate it, Stephen. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Next in line is Mark. Good morning, Mark. Morning, Bob. I have morning. A few quick questions for you. Okay. Uh, first of all, as far as the latest debate with uh, coffee grounds on lawns and gardens for germination, uh-huh. what's your latest recommendation? Well. You know, what we are learning more and more is that there's not really anything, I guess you would say, harmful, but it does seem to have a stunting effect uh, if you you overuse them. So I think that, you know, two recommendations or or modifications that I will make is, uh, number one, it might be, you know, not a bad thing on grass and things like that where you just assume it didn't grow quite as quickly in the vegetable garden, in the flower beds, we probably just need to be sure we're using them in moderate quantities because it obviously does grow very good beneficial fungus, but uh, we certainly don't want to be growing in pure coffee grounds or overdoing it in the amount of material that we add you know, to flower beds because it does seem to have the effect of uh, stunning the growth, both of vegetables and of flowers. So, um, does that help? All things in moderation, yes, but uh, yeah, it, it could even be useful if there are things that we would like to, you know, have a dwarfing effect without going to the pretty toxic chemicals that some of the growers use for that purpose. Okay. Another quick question. Uh, is it too late for uh, putting out winter rye? No, not at all. You've got another good month or six weeks uh, of time to put that out. Uh, the seed is getting to be in a little bit short supply, so I wouldn't put off doing it. But uh, if you can get your seed, you've got another three, four, five weeks a good time to plant it. Okay. And then also, this, somebody had mentioned to me uh, Elbin rye grass to put in your garden to kind of help uh, get rid of the uh, bad nematodes and help the beneficial nematodes. Are you familiar with that? Very much so, but it's not so much that it helps with the beneficial nematodes. Uh, I don't know that it does that at all. But Elbon rye is um, its what we would call a trap crop. Uh, it allows the root knot nematode to penetrate into the root, but then it can't get out. 
sort of that Hotel California situation. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. But um, and and that's the way the Elbon works as what we call a trap crop. And uh, I, I guess the good news is that it is very effective. Uh, but the you know the thing is that if you've got a good healthy organic soil and a good blend of microbes root knot nematodes are rarely a problem but if you have an area where they are uh elbon rye planted in the in the fall and then simply pulled up in the spring and disposed of uh, uh does serve as a good trap crop yes sir okay and one last quick question i have some old firewood that was on a concrete uh a slab uh-huh. that has some holes in it it uh, looks like termites or some bugs. Do I need to worry about that since they're not no. really touching the ground at all? No, no not not in any way. Uh, if it is distinct holes, it probably is just a bore. Virtually every mature tree out there has some bores. Some of them stay close to the surface. Some of them go all the way through the trunk. And in the grand scheme of things, they do very little damage. But as far as your firewood and all, uh, the bores and their larvae are long gone. So uh, if anything, it may help the wood burn a little bit better. Uh, termites, again, uh, they obviously were in ground contact at some point. But uh, the colony cannot live without the queen, and the queen cannot live uh, up in the wood itself. Now, if you get down toward the coast, we've got a different kind of termite down there, which is a whole different, really bad news thing. But uh, the uh, subterranean termites that we have up here, I would not be concerned about it at all. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. As always, you're a wealth of information. I've just made so many mistakes in my life. I just want to keep you from making the same ones over again. The the only thing that I always like to mention about firewood is uh, if you are uh, cutting red oak firewood, be sure that it is well dried, dried to the point that you start to see uh, the cracks in the wood um, uh, because the red oaks are the ones that can potentially carry the spores that cause oak wilt. But once the wood has, uh, you know, has gotten to the point that it's starting to crack, uh, then you know that it's dry enough that you don't have to worry about that problem. So any firewood you're getting, if it's red oak, be sure that it's well seasoned. You don't have to worry about that on trees other than oaks, and you don't have to worry about it on live oaks because they don't form the spore mats under the bark. So just one more little firewood piece of advice there. All right. Thank you, and have a Merry Christmas. You do the same, Mark. Thank you, sir. Everybody else, thank you for joining me. Martin Baum is up next with the Home Improvement Show. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 8 with lots more gardening for you here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.